Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 276. My goodness, we've done a lot of these. Uh, look, I, I'm not excited enough. We have a massive, massive episode today. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I had a special guest on today, Flemlo Raps. He's one of my, look, he's one of my favorite people in the industry. He's a great storyteller. And beyond his insight and his storytelling, he's a really good person. And he's the kind of dude I want to uplift. I really love Flemlo. We had a great conversation. We literally talked for a little bit over 40 minutes. Just a, one, of, one of the highlights of my career. Really fun. Uh, we'll have him on again someday. I, I, he's just a great dude. Did a lot of stuff behind the scenes to help me too. Just awesome. Uh, my dad, Steven's going to make an appearance on today's episode. Uh, he came over earlier today. and uh, We talked about baseball, some of the stuff about... It's interesting. I think you'll like it even if you're not a huge baseball person. I have three massive topics. We'll start today's episode with Derek Carr and the Raiders. We'll talk about uh, the Jaguars at some point and Gardner Minshew. At the very end of the show, buried at the end, in case you don't want it, we'll talk about Formula One and the Belgian Grand Prix. We'll also have Ask Zach at the end of the show. Um, I want to remind you guys, uh, first of all, actually, this is the last episode uh, I'm recording before doing my NFL predictions episode. I might throw in a tiny Ask Zach episode like on Sunday, right after the F1 race to talk about F1 and do some Ask Zach. Um, but I'm hoping to record my NFL predictions podcast on Monday. Uh, it's Look, it takes a ton of work, a ton of time. It's probably my biggest show of the year, honestly, the, the predictions episode. Uh, I started research for it like a month and a half ago. It's been, it's a bit overwhelming, actually. It's my biggest episode. We'll do that hopefully Monday. Uh, I need to get it done before the season starts next Thursday for the NFL. It's researching, it's studying, it's editing. Uh, my predictions, uh, it's a massive effort. I do a lot of research. I watch a ton of film. I've been watching a ton of Derek Carr to try to get ready for that. So that's coming soon. And you need to know this episode is sponsored by Manscaped. Uh, I love them. They have a great product, the Lawn Mower 3.0. If you're looking for a better solution to... Uh, for shaving downstairs, you can go to manscaped.com, use promo code CLNS20, letter C, letter L, letter N, letter S, CLNS20 for 20% off. Uh, I use a lawnmower 3.0. I highly recommend it. It really is a legitimately great product. They're a good company too. I think that matters. Uh, if I'm going to give a company my business, I want to know that, hey, behind the scenes, they're great. They have been. Uh, I really like working with them. To me, that kind of stuff matters, so uh, I recommend the Lawnmower 3.0, not just because they pay me to say that. It certainly does help, but I'll tell you, man, I actually use their product. It's great, and I love it. I want to start today from, uh, what am I saying? I want to start today with a question from Robert. Robert wrote in the same way you can. You go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler, and uh, Robert wrote in. He said this. He said, hello, Zach. I don't really listen to many podcasts, but yours stands out most by a long shot. Keep up the good work. My question is regarding Derek Carr. This will be his seventh year as the starting QB for the Raiders. For years now, the Raider Nation has wanted him out, but I've always been defending him. Do you think he's the answer for our franchise and will take us to the playoffs this year? This is by far the best team we've had around him, both on offense and on defense. Look, I have been recently watching a ton of film on Derek Carr, uh, and this video is not going to be a direct film analysis video this topic will not be. I'm going to show a couple of clips because I'm neurotic and I can, uh, but I don't have the time to edit a gigantic, like normal short film style film analysis video. I'm running out of time. I need to finish my NFL predictions episode. I'm a little bit overwhelmed by it. 
Um, but I've been watching film of Derek Carr because in order to make a good prediction for the Raiders this year, I need to know how good Derek Carr is. And so, first of all, what I found on film is that, I mean, Derek Carr is a really, really talented quarterback. Uh, he does a lot of good stuff. To me, I always ask, what does the film say that kind of matters? What does the film tell me when I watch film? And look, I the film to me says he's a franchise quarterback. I believe in Derek Carr. I like Derek Carr, not just, not just as a person, but he's talented. He does good stuff on film. Uh, however, oddly enough, in watching film, both watching film, having conversations behind the scenes, and then kind of doing some, like, looking at what's going on with the Raiders, I'm actually not sure that Derek Carr is the long-term solution at quarterback for the Vegas now, the Vegas Raiders. Uh, and really, I'm, to be more specific, I'm not sure that he's the guy for John Gruden, the coach of the Raiders. First of all, I love watching Derek Carr throw the ball. He is a guy who is immensely talented. Watching him reminds me of peak Aaron Rodgers where the dude can just flip his arm and it's beautiful. It's an incredibly tight spiral. It literally looks like Derek Carr is uh, like the, the computer-generated quarterback in Madden. That spiral, it, it, it's, so, it's, it's beautiful. And I, I, it's just fun to watch him throw the ball. He's really, really gifted as a passer. Uh, like there's a play week one against the Broncos where he uses his eyes to hold the safety inside. He's creating a window for a post. That's a great play. And so Derek Carr does good stuff like that often where I mean, that play helps seal the deal on a key third down, got them a first down to kind of seal the game at the end uh, over the Broncos. Derek Carr does some really good stuff on film. I like Derek Carr, but part of the problem with Derek Carr last year was that he did not have a true number one outside receiver. He did have a great tight end, Darren Waller. He's kind of the best-kept secret in the NFL. Hunter Renfro is a young inside slot receiver as a rookie. He's, he's young, a lot of good stuff. Um, but again, that youth meant he needs to get a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger inside. Hunter Renfro is a guy who's going to play, I think, for a long time in the NFL. He's never going to be like, oh, he's the best receiver in the league. But he's a very good contributor, and I feel very good about Hunter Renfro moving forward. Now, Tyrell Williams is the guy that I... Um, I, he was frustrating to watch. Tyrell Williams was the guy who replaced Antonio Brown in the Raiders system. And look, he was never going to be Antonio Brown. Those are two biggest shoes for him to fill. But he also simply was not up to the task of being a number one receiver in the NFL either. Not having a true number one receiver, that hurt Derek Carr. He had, there were a lot of drops. Uh, he, there wasn't really a guy on their roster who could win outside. Remember, they traded away Amari Cooper. They had Antonio Brown very briefly, and he didn't work out for reasons I'm not even going to get into. And so not having a true number one receiver, a guy who could win outside and create big plays, it was very limiting for the Raiders. Now, the Raiders and their quarterback, Derek Carr, you have the roster, the people around Derek Carr, and then you have Derek Carr. Now, they're separate entities, but they had really kind of the same problem last year, which is that across the board, there were way too many small mistakes. Costly penalties on key downs, fumbles, lots of avoidable mistakes, a lot of mental mistakes, to be totally honest, uh, and errors that simply cannot happen if you're an NFL franchise. Just things that were like, you can't have a holding penalty on third and five. You can't have a drop pass in that situation. You got to run the right route there. You can't throw the ball there. There are just weird things where, come on, guys, as a whole, it's not Derek Carr's fault. It's the entire roster. The defense had problems. Everybody on the roster, I, I don't, 
John Gruden's a good coach, but I wonder, is it a discipline problem? Why is there a lack of attention to detail with the Raiders? Why did that happen last year? Uh, Week two against Kansas City, there was an interception on the goal line, and Derek Carr did the right thing. Uh, A running play is called, but the defense was blitzing, and so Carr made a check at the line of scrimmage. He throws a fade ball to counter the blitz, and his receiver doesn't even look for the ball. He missed the check at the line of scrimmage. And that's a costly mental mistake. It gave an easy interception to the Chiefs. And that kind of stuff happened all the time for the Raiders last year. Stuff that just like, come on, guys. That's an unavoidable mistake. Now, Derek Carr isn't perfect either. Against the Colts, he missed a really easy touchdown where it's just a simple slant. And Derek throws the ball in the dirt behind his receiver, and I guess the receiver does get his hands on the ball, sure, kind of gets his hands on it, but Derek needs to throw a better ball here. That should have been an easy touchdown week four against the Colts, and look, I I saw even, was it Corner Canyon High School from Utah this weekend? The quarterback threw a touchdown on that same exact route. It's like, that should be easy. It should be a walk-in touchdown, maybe the easiest touchdown of his life, and he missed it, and he needs to be better at the small details. It's not just the roster around him. And there are certainly problems that happened with the Raiders last year that affected Derek Carr very negatively. But Derek Carr, as a quarterback, needs to be better at those little tiny things. You can't miss that throw. You can't. There's just small mistakes, like, all over the board. And sometimes, you know, I wonder if when Derek Carr misses a throw, is he in his head? Is he thinking too much? Like, it's literally like he's aiming the ball rather than just relaxing and letting it rip. He's a talented quarterback. And I wonder if he was second-guessing himself at times last year with his accuracy and where he was throwing the ball and how he was throwing the ball. Now, regardless, my takeaway from film, though, is that Derek Carr is a, he's a franchise quarterback. He's awesome. He's fun to watch. Um, and that's why when the Raiders signed Marcus Mariota, and the fact that the Raiders did sign Marcus Mariota, because at the time when it happened, I was like, well, is Derek Carr a franchise quarterback? I have no idea. After watching film, The fact that the Raiders added Marcus Mariota to their roster, another quarterback, the guy from Tennessee, he was their starter last year at the beginning of the year uh, with Tennessee before Ryan Tannehill took his job. Now that I know that, now that I feel the way I feel about Derek Carr, watching film, he's a franchise quarterback. It's weird to me that they decided to make a move and sign Marcus Mariota. I thought maybe, okay, maybe Derek Carr is a little bit skittish. Maybe they're afraid that he's afraid to take a hit. That was my kind of notion was, okay, maybe Derek Carr got hurt. His back got hurt a couple of years ago. Ever since then, maybe he's not been quite the same. And on film, I just don't see that. He's tough as nails. He takes hits. He's not afraid to get hit. He's learning how to protect himself, absolutely, and as he should do, because he is a franchise quarterback. He shouldn't take unnecessary damage. But Derek Carr is not afraid of getting hit. And so the question is, why would the Raiders not want Derek Carr? You know, I-, I couldn't really find it. There are mistakes, absolutely. Derek Carr is not perfect, um, but very similar to the rest of the Raiders roster, Derek Carr is growing and learning, and his mistakes are all fixable. And so I, I just, I, I honestly don't understand why did the Raiders bring in Marcus Mariota? And it's not like the Raiders just did nothing. I mean, it's not like the Raiders. So what, what I'm trying to say here is that Jameis Winston signed as the backup quarterback uh, with the New Orleans Saints. Jameis Winston is a former starting quarterback going to be the quarterback behind Drew Brees. He got a million-dollar contract. That's not what the Raiders did. 
The Raiders gave Marcus Mariota over $17 million, not a tiny contract at all. They're not paying him necessarily like a backup quarterback. And so it's very weird. I just don't understand. I want to talk about the pieces around Derek Carr for a second before we come back and circle around to Marcus Mariota, what happened there. Uh, Look, the left tackle Colton Miller last year struggled a lot. He got abused. He got embarrassed. Go watch the Vikings game. Everson Griffin, he just does some, he just embarrasses Colton Miller multiple times last year. He's in his third year now. Um, He's got to get better as a left tackle. The running back, Josh Jacobs, I will say, though, he was a blast to watch. I love him. He's great. Uh, he makes really good cuts. He He's explosive. He's good after the catch. Josh Jacobs is the, maybe the steal of the draft last year. Just phenomenal. Uh, him or DK Metcalf, I guess, potentially. Um, but I, I, I really, really like Josh Jacobs. I, he was kind of a surprise, and he's been phenomenal. Not surprised anyone paying attention, I guess, but I, I didn't hear his name a lot, and then he played really, really well out of Alabama. Um, they also got Henry Ruggs in the draft this year from Alabama. He's a speedy receiver. He can make big plays, catch some jump balls. Reminds me a lot of Tyreek Hill from Kansas City. And Henry Ruggs, the, I think the second or the third, I apologize for not knowing, he's made a lot of big plays in training camp this year. They're really excited about Henry Ruggs. He's awesome. They got Darren Waller. Darren Waller broke out last year. He's a great tight end. They did some stuff with Darren Waller that you're like, oh, that's not what a tight end does. I mean, they threw screen passes to Darren Waller as if he was a slot receiver. So they love Darren Waller. So the pieces around Derek Carr, the offensive line's got to be better. Uh, Trent Williams, they wanted to be a better right tackle. He had a lot of penalties and just weird uh, false starts and holding penalties that were frustrating. It's like there are moments where you can't have the penalties he had. So the offensive line has to be better moving forward. But there are certainly good pieces around Derek Carr. Now, the Raiders' defense, oh my gosh, they had big problems with the secondary last year. And because of that, they give up a lot of points, and Derek Carr was often playing from behind. It's hard to win if you're down 30 points the entire game trying to come back, trying to keep up with Patrick Mahomes and the Vikings and all these other the D, these teams they played that put up a ton of points on the Raiders. But overall, here's what I really settled on after watching film of Derek Carr and the Raiders, it's that Derek Carr is a really good quarterback. I like him. He's a franchise quarterback. And also their coach, John Gruden, is good. There's good ideas happening. Uh, there's some creative play design. Both Derek Carr and John Gruden are really good separately. I like both of them separately. However, I, I don't think they're a good fit together. And that's awkward because I think separately, if they part ways, they're both going to succeed. If Derek Carr goes somewhere else, he's going to make it work. And if Derek Carr leaves the Raiders. I think John Gruden's going to find a way to be successful by himself, too. But I've been trying to figure out, why was Marcus Mariota signed to be the backup quarterback for the Vegas Raiders? And why was he given such a big contract? And here's kind of what I've deduced, honestly, is that the reality is I believe that John Gruden is eager to replace Derek Carr. And that's a bit weird. Uh, you know. But think about it. Think about what's happened recently. Uh, first of all, previously, John Gruden brought in Mike Glennon to be the backup quarterback, and I think he was hoping could challenge Derek Carr a little bit. Uh, Mike Glennon was once viewed as a starter in the NFL, and John Gruden loves to tinker with backup quarterbacks and see, hey, is this a better fit? And then, you know, he brought in, hey, he brought in Marcus Mariota. And so John Gruden keeps trying to find another option instead of Derek Carr. I'm not sure that John Gruden really loves Derek Carr. I do, I do a dating podcast with my stepmom. It's called the Desperately Dating Podcast. 
Uh, she, she writes a lot about dating. It's fun. We have good banter, and she's got good ideas. And we say on that show that indecision means no. And if you're not sure if somebody likes you, then they don't. And I am not sure that John Gruden likes Derek Carr. And it's weird. I should, we're a couple of years in, it should be very obvious. And the fact that John Gruden hasn't seemed to embrace Derek Carr is odd. And it's, it, it's important. It matters. You know, he praises everybody. He praises Marcus Mariota. He praises even Nathan Peterman, who, my gosh, was a mess. Um, and at some point, we're going to find out why did the Raiders bring in Marcus Mariota as their backup quarterback? I love John Gruden. I love Derek Carr. And if Derek Carr leaves the Raiders, I think he's going to find a way to be successful. I think he'd be successful somewhere else. But John Gruden's system... It's not a great fit for Derek Carr, to be totally honest. Uh, They run the ball a bunch. They use heavy play action. That's what John Gruden does. And the reality is that Derek Carr should be in shotgun all the time. He should be throwing the ball a ton. And I I think he's a better fit in a different system that's not John Gruden's. He's okay in John Gruden's system, but I think he'd be better actually somewhere else. And another weird reality is that the best year of Derek Carr's career in the NFL, 2016, it happened with a coach that was not named John Gruden. His head coach was Jack Del Rio. Bill Musgrave was the offensive coordinator. It was a different offense. It was a different system. And Derek Carr was better. <laughs> Borderline MVP candidate. So I don't know that Derek Carr is a long-term plan in Vegas. I, I actually I don't have a lot of confidence in that. And it's weird to say, but why isn't John Gruden embracing him? Why sign Mariota? And for a long time, I kind of had this theory that, okay, the reason why John Gruden isn't signing Derek Carr, isn't, isn't, what am I saying, isn't praising Derek Carr is because, you know, he doesn't want to inflate his ego. Made sense to me, but it's been years. And as time has gone on, it's gotten weirder and weirder. There hasn't been this key moment where John Gruden goes, Derek Carr is my guy. It's time to embrace him. And I don't know why we're waiting and waiting and it's never, it's never come. John Gruden keeps talking about the backup quarterback. So much he loves Nathan Peterman and Mike Glennon and Marcus Mariota. Where's the love for Derek Carr? And sometimes it's not what you say that's important. It's what you don't say. And I hope I'm wrong. I like Derek Carr. I like John Gruden. I think they're both capable. I think Derek Carr is a franchise quarterback. I think John Gruden is a good coach. And if they separate and go their separate ways and break up, they're both going to succeed after their breakup. But I'm not convinced that John Gruden wants Derek Carr to be his franchise quarterback. I hope I'm wrong. Um, but I, if I had to pick a side and make a prediction, I would say that Derek Carr isn't going to work out in Oakland. or What am I saying? In, in Vegas, I guess, with the Raiders. They moved to Vegas. It's hard for me still to embrace that and accept that. Um, but if I had to pick a side and say, what is the future for Derek Carr? I'd say... I think at some point he's going to get replaced by Marcus Mariota. And I think at some point he's going to leave the Raiders and have to find a new home and a new team and might do better, might find a better fit for him than playing for John Gruden with the Raiders. All right. Um, I want to shift gears now to Jacksonville. The Jacksonville Jaguars have made some, really made two big moves recently. They traded Yannick Ngakwe to the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings got... Ngakwe, who is a defensive end, and the Jaguars got a 2021 second-round pick 
and a conditional fifth-round pick for 2022. And part of the deal, which is interesting and kind of weird, is that Yannick Ngakwe was willing to take a $6 million pay cut to make the trade happen. And so the translation there is that he wanted out of Jacksonville so bad he would do anything, by any means necessary, he was willing to make it work to get out of Jacksonville. He didn't want to be part of their organization again. Ding, 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 red flag, red flag, red flag. And not about Yannick Ngakwe. It makes the organization in Jacksonville look bad. And then surprisingly, the Jaguars released their starting running back, Leonard Fournette. And Leonard Fournette has had an up-and-down career, but I I do think Leonard Fournette was just finally starting to hit his stride in the NFL. I was excited about, uh, about his year this year, excited to watch him. He was the number four overall pick in the 2017 NFL Draft. Some people label him a bust. Uh, And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But first, I want to say this, is that I feel so bad for the Jaguars quarterback, Gardner Minshew. I feel so bad for him. You do realize what's happening, right? You you do realize what's going on. The Jaguars are pinning Gardner Minshew back and setting him up for failure. They are not giving him a good situation to play in. They're not supporting Gardner Minshew. And what that tells me is that they're not committed to him long term. They aren't even committed to winning, in my opinion. I see a lot of stuff out there. Uh, for some weird reason, it's become a debate. People are saying, um, are the Jaguars tanking? Are, are the Jaguars tanking? Let's end the debate. Why is that a debate? Yes, absolutely. The Jaguars, they're tanking. It's very clear to me. And in case you don't know what that means, what that means is that they are losing intentionally, or at least they're trying to lose intentionally. Uh, so they can get a higher draft pick in the NFL draft. They're tanking for Trevor Lawrence, who is expected to be the number one quarterback in the NFL draft. And if it's not Trevor Lawrence, they're going to get whoever the top quarterback is in the NFL draft. And here's how tanking works in the NFL. It's not the players. It's not the coaches. Because week in and week out, coaches and players are trying to win. Players need to put good stuff on film because they got to get paid. And if they don't do well on film... People see, hey, you've been playing poorly. You're not going to get paid in the future. So players got to take care of business, do the best they can. Players are not involved in tanking at all. And coaches take the team they're given, which is a key word there, they, or a key phrase. They take the team that they're given, and then coaches have to game plan and strategize to try and win with what they have. They game plan and find ways to try and win. They may not succeed, but the players and coaches, they give everything they have because Their jobs and their reputation depend on it. Tanking does not happen with players and coaches. Tanking in the NFL happens in the front office. Coaches can scheme all they want, but if they're given a bad roster, they're not going to win. They're going to lose. And a team's front office will trade away their top players. They'll try to go get draft picks. They will get rid of all their big contracts. They'll say, goodbye, Nick Foles. Goodbye, Leonard Fournette. See you later, Jalen Ramsey. Bye, Yannick Ngakwe. We're getting, we're getting draft picks for you. The Jaguars roster is trying to void their... What am I saying? The Jaguars front office is trying to void their roster of talent. They're trying to get rid of all their talent to make them less competitive. That is how an NFL team will tank. Again, not the players, not the coaches. That's exactly what the Jaguars are doing. They're tanking. They're getting rid of their talent. And, and I take it personally because I... man. I, they're screwing over Gardner Minshew, a guy who I care about, a dude I've met, I've shaken his hand, I met him in college. I root for Gardner Minshew. And so watching him get screwed over, 
It's personally hard for me to watch. It's hard for me to see. And the Jaguars have stripped the team around Gardner Minshew. They're scheming. They're plotting. And they're trying to make him look bad. That's it seems like that. Maybe they're not trying intentionally to make Gardner Minshew look bad, but they're trying to lose, and that's going to make Gardner Minshew look bad. You're going to make him look bad, then they're going to replace him. Hey, you stink. We lost. You're out. Next guy in. And so when the Jaguars are bad this year, this is something I've said for a long time. Go back, listen to my old videos. I've been saying this for months. When the Jaguars are bad this year, do not blame their quarterback. They're setting, up, they're setting him up to fail. They took away almost all of his tools. I mean, Gardner Minshew's going to try and fight. That's who he is. He's going to work his butt off to do the best he can. But there's nothing to work with. If you take away a builder's tools, you're not going to get mad at him when he has nothing left to build you a house because, oh, you took away everything I have to build a house is gone. How can I build you a house with no tools? And Gardner deserves better. I mean, he really does. The Jaguars are going to replace him, which is stupid because the film says that he's a good quarterback. And honestly, getting replaced by the Jaguars could really help Gardner Minshew. Because in a weird, kind of, sort of, odd way, it could help him get out of a bad situation with a team that's not supporting him. He could go to a better team. Gardner Minshew could go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the Saints or the Steelers. Go to Pittsburgh. Try to replace a Hall of Fame quarterback, a guy who was good and is now retiring. Go to a good roster where all they need is a quarterback. And hey, Gardner Minshew, take him for cheap. It's a cheap contract. I mean, I think the Cowboys would be better off with Gardner Minshew and his contract than giving Dak Prescott $100 million. But my main point here is that Gardner Minshew is too good of a quarterback to not be a starter in the NFL. To have Mitchell Trubisky starting, to have potentially Justin Herbert starting in the NFL, but you leave Gardner Minshew behind, that's just wrong and idiotic and stupid. And to me, it's really annoying because I'm watching Gardner Minshew get screwed over by politics, a team that's not trying to be competitive. They're not supporting him. And for me, that's really, really annoying. Now, one thing that's kind of going on here that I I find really weird and kind of stupid is that people keep saying that the Jaguars released their running back Leonard Fournette because he doesn't fit their system. Uh, What? That's really stupid. I don't don't agree with that at all. Um, It's a coach's job, in case you don't know, it's a coach's job to build your system around your players. And then also, how could he not be a good fit? I don't understand because Leonard Fournette runs the ball really hard. He can also catch the ball out of the backfield. I don't know how you can't find a spot on your roster for a guy like that. So basically, it's a nonsensical excuse to say, well, we can't find a spot for Leonard Fournette because he's not a good fit in our system. Then build your system around a good running back. I don't understand it. Again, the Jaguars are tanking. They're not trying to win. They're not trying to be competitive. Now, I will say they do have a couple of good players. They have got... DJ Chark, they got Josh Allen, Miles Jack, a really good linebacker. I watched him play at Bellevue High School from my home state. Got Gardner Minshew. But the reality is that the Jaguars do not have enough good players to be competitive. And that's not an accident. That's by design. The Jaguars are tanking. In the 2021 draft, the Jaguars have two first-round picks. They have, that's next year's draft, two first-round picks, two second-round picks, a third-round pick. Two fourth-round picks. They also have a pick in each of the fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds. The Jaguars are trading away or getting rid of their talented players and stockpiling draft picks. Because the Jaguars, without a shadow of a doubt, the Jaguars are tanking. 
Okay, guys, I want to shift gears. Really fun topic next. Um, earlier today, I got on the phone and recorded an interview with Flemlo Raps. I'm sure you know who he is. He doesn't really need an introduction, but he's one of my favorite people in the industry. He's a great storyteller. I love the dude just as a human being. He's a good guy. Um, I want to give you guys a bit of a heads up, though. I think I caught him off guard because of the way I do phone call interviews. Um, the first couple words he said have audio from his camera because uh, I think he immediately realized, oh, crap, I got to hit record on my microphone. Uh, so if you hear the first two seconds and it sounds like weird audio from him on his end, it's totally okay. Hang in there because after the first two seconds, he turned on his mic. It sounds really great. Um, I try. To, I work hard to have interviews that sound good. I don't just do phone interviews if I can because if a guy on his end can record his audio and then we have better audio for the whole conversation, it sounds way better to me. So please enjoy it. I love Flem, though. He's a great dude. That's really what he goes by. That's what his, his friends call him. Um, and enjoy my conversation with an awesome dude, Flemlo Raps. Oh, and I want to say, first of all, uh, my favorite thing he does, if you don't know, he goes, cue to Wayne. And I don't have Lil Wayne music to play, but um, I want to give him a shout out there because I love that he goes like, and I, I cannot do it justice, but he goes, cue the Wayne. And it sounds awesome. I, I can't do it, but uh, gosh, I love Flem, though. Great conversation. Enjoy that now. Yo. Hey, man. How are you? I'm good, bro. It's good to talk to you. Um, hey, man, can I start by just giving you a compliment? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I... I've known who you are for a long time. Uh, the thing that always sticks out to me is that you're so, first of all, you're a great example for young guys. Um, you're also really empathetic. And I think in, when you, people talk about sports, people often forget that we're talking about human beings. And you're so good at empathy and both setting a good example, saying, hey, there's certain stuff you got to do. You got to take care of business, but also understanding that people make mistakes and they're human. And you're so good at the human <laughs> element. Can you talk about your beliefs a little bit because i'm a fan of you and who you are not just your content well first off bro appreciate that man <laughs> yeah uh, you know it's it's funny like i think it's just because i came to youtube and like people got to know me a little bit later in my in my mm -hmm. life like a lot of yeah. cats that get on youtube are usually younger yeah uh, i think i probably got on by like 27 28 so i had just lived a lot of life man i went to college for three four years and then i managed a million dollar retail store um for like five years so mm -hmm. i just i feel like i've been through a lot yeah. i made a ton of mistakes um and i know so many people <clears throat> like where i'm from who are good you know they're good cats yeah, they take care of they they take care of their kids. They love their family. They got the same morals as, you know, the average American. But they sometimes make bad decisions. They get caught in these situations, and it's a lot of stuff. I grew up situations. I grew up in. I didn't even realize how bad it was. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Until yeah. you kind of get that perspective as you get out in the world. A lot of people never get that perspective, or they get it too late. So when I look at athletes. I literally just look at them as people. And it's kind of, it was weird to me at first that a lot of people didn't look at it like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, uh, I think Josh Gordon is a is a good example. Like, a whole lot of people, like the same people who would be like, yo, addiction is a real thing. It's a, it's a disease. It's, you know, and they'll understand, like, their uncle has an addiction problem, but they can't understand mm. that Josh Gordon has an addiction problem. Like, you know what I mean? They think that because he can run fast and jump high, that for some reason he should just be immune to all the other, you know, all these other human situations. And I just mm -hmm. always kind of thought that was ridiculous, honestly. <laughs> yeah, and so, a little bit. 
And so I try to bring that to my channel. So when I talk about it, what I do is, man, and I'm going to stick with Josh Gordon because I think it's just a good, it's a good example. Mm -hmm. I saw so much stuff about Josh Gordon on ESPN. He's getting talked about every single day. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that he started doing like, yeah, he he became addicted to. I won't go into it because you know YouTube, but yeah. he became addicted to a lot of different things. He was like 13, 14 years old. His parents mm. were addicts. Yeah, and that stuff was just on the internet. I don't know Josh Gordon. It was just out there, public information. Mm. But I never heard it. Like when the story got told, it that never got mentioned. Yeah. And that doesn't change the fact that look, man, you you have an issue. You know, you need to try to fix it and it's a problem you broke the rules you're going to get punished for it it don't change that fact at all yeah. but i just like to have a context you know what i'm saying so now i can understand a little bit better why he's making these decisions that he's making and it just when you think about it, it kind of makes sense like if you're an addict and you're poor and then you get money you know what i'm saying like now you have access to all the stuff that you was doing before, you can do it like oh, yeah. times 10 because there's nothing stopping you. So it kind of makes sense. Like you, you just understand it. You know what I'm saying? And so that's really all I was looking to do, to be quite honest. And then I also, my internet, this is my rule on the internet, period. On the internet, because, you know, I'm 32. So I kind of came mm. up when, as the internet was taking off, but I got, again, a lot of real life experience. I try not to say nothing on the internet I wouldn't say to a person. Like, I really mm -hmm. run that through my mind. Like, would yeah. I say this if I was across from this dude? You know what I'm saying? And if I wouldn't say it across from the dude, I try to abstain from saying it on the internet. You know what I'm saying? I that's ain't a great perfect, policy. But that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty much my guiding star. So I try, to, I try to look at it like that. If I was actually having a conversation with this person or like, his mother was watching his video or, well, he, you know, something like well, that. Well, the thing is, sometimes they do. Be if I may, have you ever had athletes yeah. reach out to you? Because I have, and yeah. they really like when we talk about them as human beings. Absolutely. Absolutely. I got a, I can't talk about it yet. Yeah. I, I got a great yep. um, opportunity coming up next month. And it's pretty much largely because of that. Like, he just really liked yeah. the way that, you know, I talk about the human side of it and everything. So... I don't really, um, I never really looked at it as this, this big thing, but I have noticed as the channel has grown, that's drawn a lot of people to it. That's what a lot of people yeah. seem to seem to enjoy about the, about the content. So I think it's dope. Well, know? I think people follow for, they want you, they want your content, but they want to hear from you yourself. Um, and I, yeah. I totally understand that. I love the way you covered uh, Kima Sivarand. He was a guy that, you know, he got cut for, a lot of people made it kind of into a meme. He got cut for trying to sneak a girl into his hotel room. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, I get, like, it's, it is a funny story. Like, you look at it face value, you go, oh, my gosh, that's the yeah. most hilarious thing I've ever heard. But he's also right. a dude who misses out on maybe his lifelong dream. And that's inherently sad and heartbreaking. And I it thought the is, way you covered bro. that story, man, was so great. Thank you, bro. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, because it's... Anytime there's a story like there's so many jokes, it's like it's so easy to go that route. Yeah. But like I just I really think about it like I think anybody can do this. Like I don't think this is anything <laughs> special. Like yeah. I really don't. Yeah. When a young again, I'm 32. These cats is like usually in their 20s, man. When a young person makes a terrible decision, I could always look at it and be like, man, I remember I made this terrible decision. I made this terrible <laughs> like this is me. This is like yeah. my little brother, my little cousin. Like, so I look at it like that. So I don't want to be like overly harsh or overly judgmental. Yeah, you made a 
stupid mistake. And I'm going to tell you you made a stupid mistake. But at the same time, I can also empathize with you. And I understand that we've all made stupid mistakes. Sometimes you end up paying big. Sometimes you get away with it. He ended up paying huge. And it's something that probably seemed real important to him at the time. And I know, bro, four, five years down the line, he's going to think back on that and it's going to eat him up, you know. And that's sad, you know, because it's going to be hard for him. It's possible. People have done it. It's going to be hard for him, though, to move on to, like, the next stage of his life because he's going to, you know, he's going to understand he really blew this opportunity just because hormones, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it's rough. You, you know, know the one, it's going to be rough for him to deal with. The one I always understand is when guys, if you're 22 years old, you make a couple million dollars. I, I don't know yeah. how you don't, and you've lived your whole life. I, I know I grew up in a mobile home. I lived, I worked at a car wash for two and a half years. I was building strong so sports, it. going to college. Like yeah. the first time I got enough money from YouTube to like survive and get my own place, I was, yeah. I didn't know what to do with it. And I can't imagine, <laughs> I, I was living paycheck to paycheck and I still almost do. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have all this money. It felt so great. I can't imagine yeah. if that was, instead of, you know, enough to survive, if it was millions of dollars. Can you imagine? I just, I can't. It's Dude. crazy. It's, it's very difficult to imagine, but I just, <clears throat> like, the thing you have to do is that you, see how you can put that in perspective? Like, you mm. got to be able to put it in perspective. Anytime yeah. you see a person do something, instead of being like, yo, this person's an idiot. Like, try to think about it. Like, okay, if that was me, what would I really do? Yeah. What, what did I do that one time I got that bonus check at work? I splurged. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I, I got, like, a, you know, you got a $700 bonus check at work. And you, you pretty much blew the whole thing. So imagine if you got a million-dollar bonus check. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're going to likely have that same behavior, especially at least until you get used to, um, you know, you get used to actually having money and you learn, like, what to do with it. Well, it's funny, too, man. A million dollars, you could spend that so quick. I mean, you, you buy a house for your mom, a car, another house, like, it's gone. Yeah. Like, bam. It can be gone just like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just like you? that. And if, you, yeah. if you're an athlete and your career is, is hella short, you know, it's it's dangerous. And that's yeah. why when Cass is holding out and all of that, I get it, bro. Like, it's like, dog, yeah. I got to get paid right now. My my shelf life is, like, my career span is not that long. Like, I know I'm making a whole bunch of money, but I'm not going to make this amount for the next 30, 40 years, like most careers. Did you so see the way that— You got to get it yeah. while you can get it. Oh, for sure, man. Did you see the way that Melvin Ingram uh, held out? Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't, loved that. I didn't see it like in in detail, but mm. I just saw that he was he was at practice, just not participating. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, yeah. he was helping guys yeah. out. He's coaching out. He's he's engaged. He's just not risking injury till he gets paid. I love that. That's perfect. And that's see, that's smart. That's mm-hmm. like I actually didn't even know. I didn't know like all the details of that. Like, but see, that's when you look at the situation and say, "Yo, what is my goal here? To get paid." It's like a lot of times when guys hold out. They say their goal is to get paid, but it seems like their goal is to kind of get back at the organization. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It yeah. feels like more like a revenge than a means to an end. And so, like, yeah, the way he did it, that's dope. I think everybody should really, like, take a page out of his book. Absolutely. that was smart. Well, I hate when guys are – I don't hate I, – I, I get the holdout, but it's tough when guys are, like, alone in the woods, deep somewhere, not answering anything. They're just – they're holed away somewhere. It's like, man, you're not present. You're not engaged. Your leadership yeah. is being lost. Your presence is being lost. It's hard. Yeah. And, and you want to reward a guy. I think you only get to that point if you try the Melvin mm-hmm. Ingram route and it doesn't work, right? Like, so if you did that this year and then you still end up not getting paid. Like, you can get to that point if the organization is just not willing to work with you yeah. at all. Yeah. But usually, you know, they'll be 
at least somewhat reasonable if you're somewhat reasonable. Where are you most from? Most of the time. Uh, you know, I, I know you're a Bengals um, fan. I would assume yeah. Cincinnati. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Mississippi. Man. Of all places. Yeah. So you're probably wondering, like, why is a kid from Mississippi a Cincinnati Bengals fan? <laughs> yes, absolutely I am. <laughs> all right, man. So here, here it is. So I'm from Mississippi, super small town, like the country. You know, you can deer hunt from my porch. Mm. Like, no, no cap. Like, you can shoot deer from my porch. <laughs> Um, my dad is a Cowboys fan because when he was growing up, that's all that was on TV. You know, Mississippi doesn't have a team, right? Yep. My uncle, we own like this big piece of land. So my, it's my house, my granddad's house and my uncle's house. My uncle is an Eagles fan. My granddad is a Dolphins fan. So growing up, every male I know have a different team. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yep. So I, I didn't really understand the whole concept of, people all pulling for the same team. Like I wasn't even, I didn't see that really until I went to college. Mm-hmm. But in you know, when I, my younger life, I ain't never see that. So I was like, man, I got to pick me a team. You know, when I started playing football around like seventh grade, I played receiver. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad had put me on Michael Irvin and Jerry Rice. You know, I grew up watching football with him. Yeah. And so when I watched the game, I'm watching the receivers. That's it. Like I don't, I, don't, I watch from a receiver's yep. standpoint. I still kind of do that to this day. Mm-hmm. And um, I discovered Chad Johnson, you know, and he was he had a southern dialect like me. He had gold teeth in his mouth like all my (laughs) relatives. You know what I'm saying? And it just really it pulled me in. So I became a fan of Chad and he always talked about the art of running routes. So he was teaching and we didn't really have like YouTube in the same capacity that you Mm. got it now. This was the most I could get. So I was locked in, became a huge Chad fan. And then through that, I learned about the rest of the receiving core, Hoosh Mazada, Chris Henry, and I just became a Bengals fan like that. And it actually surprised me. Like, I wasn't super engaged the entire time because, again, I'm playing football myself. Yep. Um, you know, I go to college. I'm not watching football every Sunday. Like, I got – we play on Saturday. Like, I'm not really thinking about the NFL like that. But to my surprise, like, years later when I tuned back into the NFL – I cared whether or not the Bengals won. Like when the Bengals <laughs> would lose, I would be pissed off. And I was like, damn, I'm I'm a Bengals fan, you know? <laughs> At this point, I have no knowledge of the fact that they haven't won a playoff game since 1992. Mm-hmm. I don't know this. I don't know that our owner is considered cheap. I don't really, you know what I mean? I hadn't gotten that deep into it, but I was already emotionally attached to the team before I knew any of that. So once I learned all of that, I'm a loyal guy. I stayed down regardless. And, you know, here we are, man, years later. But, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it, man. It was uh, kind of a chance, a, a by chance thing. And once I pick my team, ain't no switching for me. Like, I'm, I'm that type. Mm-hmm. So, that's awesome. You know, I'm a big yeah. Chad Johnson, Chad Ochocinco fan. He's such a guy yeah. who's – he gets the entertainment side of things, but he also took care of business behind the scenes. Yeah. He's actually one of those guys who's been really smart with his money, which is awesome. Yeah. He's a he's a nice he's just a nice dude, bro. Yeah. He's like he's a good dude, bro. He be sending out <laughs> money all the time, leaving two thousand dollar tips. I mean, and those are like small things, but yep. it's just like cool stuff, like putting that good energy out there. He posts that on Twitter, and it influenced people like me. It influenced people like all the people that follow him to just do nice stuff yeah. sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Like just put that good energy out there, like brighten up somebody else's day. Like it just go a long way. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I'm still a huge fan of Chad. Are you a fan of Marshawn Lynch? I'm watching uh, Last Chance U season yeah. five, and I see Beast Mode on the back of their shirts everywhere. I'm like, oh, wow, that makes sense. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I am a fan of Marshawn. 
That's my dude. Um, if I may, have you ever been to Cincinnati? I have not. Man, you not. should go. I was supposed it, to. Man, I've talked to um, like the because I've been to games, but yep. I've never been to a game in Cincinnati. Mm. I always wait till they come closer to me. Yeah, and then I'll go. I, I but, will um, say this: flights are really cheap to Cincinnati. I, I went to a Bengals game. I went to Bengals Patriots last December. Went to Northern Road yeah. Brewery, this incredible brewery. The city is. Um, it's a northern city. It's cold, but it's actually kind of pretty in its own way. It's kind of this unique, cool place. Yeah. Man, I, I'm definitely going to go. I was going to go this year for sure. Like, I got enough contacts now to get, like, tickets and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just with the whole pandemic situation, oh, yeah. I don't know how it's going to play out. Dude, all long-term so plans are gone. I can't gone. say for sure. Yeah, so, like, at this point, I don't know, man. I've canceled probably 10 <laughs> trips yeah. to different Same. places within yep. the last few months. So. We'll see what happens with it, but yeah, I can't wait to go, man. It's gonna be a good, it's gonna be a good experience. What do you expect from your team this year? What do you expect from the Bengals? Um, I expect us to be fun, entertaining mm-hmm. to watch for sure. Uh, a lot of Bengals fans are like, I mean, we hyped up, we excited, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So forgive us, bro. We just had a two win season. Yeah. You know, we got Bengals fans saying we're gonna win ten games. Hey, listen, <laughs> I still have my doubts about the team. Um, the biggest doubt being the offensive line. I know yep. they've improved, but have they improved enough? Mm. You know, that yep. it, it remains to be seen. But I think we're going to be a fun team to watch, man. Um, and I'm just kind of looking forward to to growth. I'm not ready to give, like, my record prediction yet. I'm going to get that in the video. Mm-hmm. But um, so I ain't ready to get that just yet. But I think we're going to surprise a lot of people. We're going to be much improved. I think our defense is going to be a lot better than a lot of people think. And people don't seem to understand how good our receiving core is. And mm-hmm. I get it. They're always hurt. So, yeah. you know, every time we play on primetime, we got like Tyler Board is probably the only receiver you see out there that you recognize. Everybody else is just backup players because AJ has been hurt for the last two years. And John Ross has been hurt since we drafted him. But yeah. assuming just relative health, if we don't have, like, the worst luck ever again, and A.J. doesn't miss more than four games and John Ross doesn't miss more than four games, we're going to catch a lot of people off guard, man. Yeah. A lot of people. So I'm excited. I think we're going to have a good season. I think you guys could be a lot like the Arizona Cardinals were last year where they got some flashes mm. of, like, brilliance. There's some couple key moments that are awesome. I don't know that you're going to win a ton of games, but I think fun is a great yeah. – because what I hate for you is to sit at home and be like, I hate this team. They suck. They're not any fun. They're going to score touchdowns. Joe Burrow is going to be interesting. Right. And that's right. at the very least what you want, right? Yeah, yeah. Because, again, it, last year was brutal, man. We won two games. I watched every one. <laughs> oh, you poor soul. Right. You had to watch <laughs> Ryan Finley. I'm so sorry for you. Oh, my God. Like There was a point where I was like, yo, we got to put Finley in because we got to see what we have. Yeah. You know, because we drafted him in the fourth round. Yep. We're going to have a high pick. You know, we know what we got in Dalton. You know, let's let's see Finley. He yeah. played like two drives, and I was like, "All right, we've seen enough. You know, let's <laughs> yeah. get Dalton back." In. <laughs> well, imagine That's if he'd good. been good though. You could have got Chase Young and had a franchise quarterback if Ryan Finley had worked out. I mean, you had to see it. Well, yeah, for sure. It, it only makes sense. Like it would have been stupid at that point because we were, you know, we had won what one game. This was like midway through the season. You know, we're like one in seven. We're obviously not going to the playoffs. We just drafted a quarterback. If they didn't put him in and start him two weeks, I would have been pissed. I was on Twitter talking about this for like the three weeks before they finally put him in. Because I had, we've all seen it. We had seen enough of Dalton. And, mm. you know, I respect Dalton, but I just think he was over the situation. And we just needed a new, a new quarterback that could actually elevate the team. Yeah. Because before, I feel like, 
the team kind of elevated Dalton. And then yep. when some of those pieces went away and got injured and stuff like that, you know, we go 2-14. and 14. Hmm. You want a QB to grow with? Yeah, for sure. And so there's always hope, man. Like, there's always hope. You're always growing. You learn from everything. If he plays bad, that's okay. That's progress. If he plays good, great. Progress. So this year is, is almost a free year for us. Mm. Assuming that if the offensive line is just decent, you know, it, it's gonna, this year should be a, a fun year for Bengals fans mm. regardless. And that's I awesome. can see us winning from, like, four games to, like, nine, depending on yeah. breaks. Like, well, how like, lucky do we get? How unlucky do we get? Well, there's, like, know? a free spirit. Like, there's nothing to lose. Hey, we might as well. Let's just enjoy this. It could be great. Um, if I may, yeah, do you sure. ever play fantasy football? I, I have never once played fantasy football. I don't really understand it. Like, they, they draw. It doesn't really appeal to me. Are you a fantasy hmm. football guy? Yeah, I play. Um, I'm not, like, the biggest. Like, I'm not, like, one of these cats that's. Like, you'll see, like, the Fantasy Football Podcast, oh, yep. and those dudes are, like, really... I just play with my friends. Yeah. Um, and we play... We actually play, like, a, a unique rule set that I don't see a lot of people play under. We don't use standard scoring. We use the um, PPR, so points per reception, mm. of course. Yep. But we also use IDP, indiv- Individual in, um, Defensive Players. And that really changes the game, man, because if you got like good, yeah, you got to get three DBs, you got to get two linebackers, D linemen. Mm. And it just, it lets you, it kind of raises your knowledge of players around Mm -hmm. the league that you probably wouldn't have paid attention to before. And it will sweeten certain games. Like if you got that Thursday night matchup that nobody cares about, well, guess what? I got four players playing in this game. Mm. So when I watch the game, it's it's going to raise the level of entertainment for me. If it's also a good game, great. That's you know what I'm saying. That's going to add to it even more. Yeah. But it kind of gives you that. One thing I do though, I, I kind of stay away from my own players just because I don't know. <laughs> it feels like I'm jinxing it or something like that. Yeah, that's funny. So. Yeah, unless they just fall and it's like just great value, I go get other people's other people's players. That's the best. Because I'm gonna argument. watch all the Bengals games regardless. You just made the best argument I've ever heard from fantasy football, which is that everyone says, "Well, it's fun." I'm like, "Well, it sounds like a ton of work." I'm like, "I don't really want to spend hours a week trying to figure out who to start and trying to figure out the best matchup." Well, and I guess yeah, depends on how serious you take it, right? Like it exactly. That's that's what it comes down to. See, some people uh, they look at it like it's, it's more of a job for them, mm-hmm. like me. I'm like a, a casual competitive player, right? So <laughs> yeah. I'm playing with guys that are not football pros. Like, you know, some of them are really into it. Some of them are super, super casual football fans anyway. And sometimes they had the best team because they just pick names. <laughs> and I'm I'm picking this dude that I think is going to break out that nobody's ever heard of. And I'm going to start him this week. And he's going to give me zero points or 50. And, you know, you get burned a lot. But it's fun. Like, getting burned to me <laughs> is one of the most fun things. Like, I don't like playing it safe. It just, even in life, and in fantasy football, it's free. Like, I could do it. Yeah. And, you know, if I take an L, I get trash talking to, uh, in the group chat for a week. And then I move on with my life. Like, it's not, it's not that big of a deal. You know what I'm saying? I want to let the record stand. What you said about it makes some random games more entertaining. That's awesome. And then... I think yeah. for me, I could learn more about. I, mean, I, I know a lot about the league; it's my favorite thing. But I, I probably could learn more names, even more, by playing fantasy oh, football, hearing sure. about people I've never heard of. For sure, you start to learn like the third guy, the mm. third receiver on the depth chart, the backup running back for this team. Because once uh, Alvin Kamara gets hurt, you need to know that they got mm. Latavius Murray. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like, and so it's just. <laughs> 
it's like all these little extra little nuanced things that you that you kind of learn about players that are not at the top of the depth chart and that aren't always being talked about on ESPN. And if you play fantasy football, this dude might be a fantasy football star, mm. but like a, a casual football player, I mean, casual football fan have no idea who it is. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. and it, it helps in like an our line of work. It definitely helps because it kind of just give you more topic, more stuff to talk about and more like insights to draw from mm. when you, you know, when you, when you're talking football on the, on your podcast, or on a video for yeah. me. Do you have time for two more? I, I want to be uh, conscientious of your time. Yeah, I'm good, man. Can we talk about Trey Lance? Because that what they're doing is kind of crazy. They're playing one game this year, yeah. kind of basically so their quarterback can get a, a a look to the NFL, so the NFL can see what he can do in one game. I've never yeah. seen – I mean, of course, this whole year has been weird and crazy <laughs> stuff has happened, but I've never seen anything like that. It's kind of weird. Yeah, it, it is. It is pretty weird. Um. At first, like when I first think about it, it sounds crazy. And then I'm like, yo, for for the school, though, it just makes so much sense. I don't know how much sense it makes for Trey, to be honest. Mm, yeah. Like, but assuming he's going to play in it, which I'm assuming he is, then, yep. you know, it is what it is. But for the school, man, they're going to get to be on TV at a time where it's not a whole lot of football on. This is a top prospect. It's going to get promoted on ESPN because they're going to talk about Trey Lance. You know what I'm saying? So now, and then it's the school Carson Wentz went to, so that'll add a little bit of intrigue for people who aren't really into like that whole FCS thing. People are going to tune in that wouldn't have tuned in before. It's going to raise the profile of the school, and it's going to help them in recruiting big time because I'm, I'm a prospect that's got to go to it. I went to an FCS school. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a prospect who got to go to an FCS school, and I know that if I'm that dude, they'll go out of their way to make sure I'm on TV. You know what I'm saying? Think about the scouts that's going to be watching this game. Yeah, So true. that team already has, um, obviously, it's Trey. There's also an offensive lineman they have that is a um, an NFL prospect. And who knows, man? You're going to have an opportunity if you're on the team or on the field to be seen. Like, if you mm. pop you might get some interest. You, you might get a camp saying? invite and you weren't going to get otherwise. Dude, that's a, hu- that's a huge, that's a huge sale for a player that's going to go and play on that level. So it's going to help the school tremendously. So yeah, it makes all the sense in the world once you really think about it. Um, it's an odd situation. And for Trey, I mean, personally, I think right now he's probably, I know people are saying he's top three, but by the time quarterbacks, not pick, but top three quarterbacks, by the time they go through all this film and look at the school and all that stuff, if he just had to stand on what he has right now, depending on how many school, um, how many teams need a quarterback next year, mm-hmm. true enough. Yep. But he's probably like somewhere right in the middle of the first round. Yeah. This game can change that dramatically. He could slide to the back end of the first. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'll slide out of it unless he's just horrible. He's got more to lose. Or he than could game. slide to the top. You know what I mean? If yeah. he just look, even though he's not playing anybody, <clears throat> if his physical traits just pop. And then he had the whole thing last year with no interceptions. Like, that hype is going to build. And he's going to mess around. Or he could mess around and slide into one of them top five picks and maybe jump a Justin Fields or something like that. It's possible, depending on how this game goes. You yeah. know, so there's a lot riding on it. It's a super interesting game. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to definitely be tuned in. Man, well, as a fan, it's must-watch television. You're like, I, yeah, the pressure's I, I on for him. It's the pressure is sky high. And when you're going to get that in your first and last game of your sophomore season, <laughs> all this pressure, like anytime that's the case as a sports fan, like that's where you want to be. Like, you know what yeah. I'm saying? When the pressure mounts, that's why we let the playoffs and stuff so much. Like this is, 
this is huge for him. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. going to change the trajectory of his career, potentially. What if he's entirely so, calm? He handles it well. He just balls dude, out. I mean, does he... I, I look like, at him on film. I think he might be actually better than Justin Fields. I know some people think that's blasphemous, but I, I really love Trey yeah. Lance. Do you think he could skyrocket okay. up? How high can he get? Well, see, you're more of a film guy than me. So mm-hmm. to hear you say that is interesting. You know what I'm saying? Because I've I've read... I've read it both ways. I've seen people mm-hmm. say that, and then I've also seen people, like you say, say it's blasphemous. And um, <laughs> my my whole argument was just that like recency bias is is a real thing, man. Mm-hmm. And so if Trey Lance goes out and plays well, and he's got that fresh tape. We, we know what Justin Fields has done. Yeah, but they're gonna start to. They're going to start to pick Justin Fields apart. And then they're going to look at Carson Wentz. They're going to say, oh, he went to the same school. I'm, and they, Trey's going to start to rise. So mm. it can easily happen. It can easily happen. Some quarterbacks shoot up the board every year. So it could easily be Trey Lance, you know, depending on how well this game goes. Yeah, if he go out there, like you say, he's super poised, go hard, kill everything, does great. Um, sounds good, confident in the post-game interview. Like, yeah, people going to talk themselves into it. It's only going to take a couple GMs. How, you, I, first of all, I didn't know you played college football. That's really cool. How dumb yeah, is I it? Mean, go ahead. No, I, how, how silly is it when people look at a quarterback and go, well, they went to the same school and one guy 10 years ago failed, so this new guy from the same school is going to fail again. There's no, no one looks at the context. Like, well, Sam Darnold and... Carson Palmer played in completely different systems with different coaches and different eras of football for USC. I don't think you can compare yeah. them. Am I crazy there? Yeah. No, that's actually a really good point. Um, I hadn't thought about that before. But, um, yeah, I mean, it makes, a, it makes a ton of sense. But, like, I, I don't think – well, I, I can't say what people do. <laughs> for me personally, I wouldn't do it after one guy. But if there's, like, a clear, like, history there – where you've had several mm. top prospects go to your school and then they go to the NFL and don't pan out. Yeah. I mean, you have to at least take that into consideration yeah. in your uh in your evaluation. Like I'm not saying that's like the be all end all, but it's gotta be in there, you know. I think the best like, thing you can for do for some reason this yeah. is just not translating to the NFL. Like I don't you know what I'm saying? Well, you can do is look at a a system like you go to Mike Leach quarterbacks often don't work in the NFL. And there's a reason for that. Their their style of play often doesn't fit the NFL. Gardner Minshew is kind of an anomaly because of the way he played. He'd been in different systems. He had much more NFL traits than a typical Mike Leach quarterback. But it's kind of funny how and I think if you're going to criticize anybody and say, well, their system doesn't translate to the NFL. Mike Leach is a perfect guy. I I was very close to that organization, Washington, I guess, team in Washington State. I worked on the sidelines a lot. For the most part, their system doesn't translate to the NFL. So I think when people mm. look at a quarterback and go, hey, they're not going to work because of X, it's not the school necessarily. It's usually the system they're coming from. Right, 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 right. Um, let's I talk totally about, agree with that. Let's talk about Earl Thomas because I, you made a video kind of right before he got released about, well, this could actually happen. Earl Thomas, this potentially like a really great safety, could actually get released from the Ravens. What was your yeah. initial reaction when that happened? Um, I wasn't I wasn't shocked because like mm. you know, like you said I had already <laughs> talked about it yeah. beforehand and um, I, I honestly I second guessed it though because when I made that video there was people <laughs> in my in my comment section like oh man you you know what I mean you just you're hating on the Ravens because I'm a Bengals fan or Ugh, stuff like I that. I don't think you do and that I, you're pretty fair and of objective course, I, of course I don't so I didn't really take that to heart because I'm yeah. like come on man I, I know my character <laughs> yeah but. <clears throat> I was like, huh, maybe maybe I'm tripping. But I'm like, yo, he had problems last year in training camp. 
and then he had problems again. And like some of the, when you look at the details, and I go over it in the video, like the players on the team were saying openly that they did not want him there. They had mm. a vote saying that they wow. didn't want him on the team. Once that happens, bro, and you're a vet, you're not a young guy who yeah. can come out of this behavior maybe. You know, he's just young. If you're 30 years old, you're a whole vet, you're a multiple-time pro bowl. Like, if you all of that, that means this is not changing. This, this behavior, this is who you are at this point. Yeah. And you just don't fit with this with this team in this locker room, not to mention – Earl was also complaining about the Ravens' defense, and it was, it was more complicated than it needed to be, and he wasn't able to play to his strengths all the time. And I also have friends who are diehard Ravens fans, and they complained about Earl Thomas all last year, <laughs> about his play specifically. Wow. Now, I wasn't really super open to it at the time because mm-hmm. my team is 2-14, and 14, and you're complaining about your future Hall of Fame free safety. I, I don't really care mm. what you're saying, yeah. but in <laughs> hindsight, you know, they was right. And so the fact that they were saying that and then the team, players on the team actually echoed that and was pushing up this this younger safety that they want to see. I think Josh Elliott, if I'm not mixing up his name. I, I mean, so once I saw all of that, I knew it was a pretty big possibility. I thought it was likely. Like, I thought it was going to most likely happen. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I mm. wasn't shocked. When, when they actually let him go. You know, I, I wonder if they're better off without him. It, everything I've, I hear sounds like a team that... I, I actually didn't know about the vote. I, that's new information to me. That they're like, we yeah. just don't want this guy around. Yeah, the, the leadership council is, mm. is what they said. The leadership council on the team voted that they did not want him around. From that alone, that they're better off. info was out before he me. got released. You've so. been in a locker room. If there's a guy causing problems, who's late to meetings, who's not showing up, <laughs> yeah. who's... Just a pain. Yeah. Who's cancerous? You you don't want him there. He's actually a hindrance no. to you trying to win games. Absolutely, absolutely. Especially a team like the Ravens that's so is so well run. Their locker room is strong. Like they not gonna deal with that type of behavior. So yeah, once I saw that, and then you couple it with kind of the way he left Seattle. You couple mm-hmm. it with the issues he had this summer. You couple you couple that with the fact that he had training camp problems last year. It's it's like yeah, they, they're probably gonna release this dude. You know what I'm yeah. saying? If they can't trade him. Here's the question. You're, you're a Bengals fan. Would you want Earl Thomas? No. Oh, wow. That's, see, no. that's, that's really telling, right? If you're a team that was 2-14 and 14 last year, and there's a potential yeah. Hall of Fame all-pro safety, and you're like, ah, we don't want him. That's, let, that's let me very my concerning. Reasoning. Let me yeah, explain please. my reasoning. Uh, because I'm not, a, I'm not one of those guys that's like, if this will take us from two wins to four wins, we should absolutely do it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think like that. I'm thinking like, yo, when is our Super Bowl window? It's mm. not this year. No. It's not next year. So why would we sign Earl Thomas? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Who we have young safeties. We got Jesse Bates, who's 23, who's take big steps out of Wake Forest. We just signed Von Bell from uh, New Orleans to come and play strong safety for us. Why would I bring in Earl, T- Earl Thomas when I got two young players who can grow as the team grows? Because by the time the team gets to a point where we can actually compete for a Super Bowl, Earl Thomas is going to be retiring. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And and we already know he's a locker room cancer. Like, if I thought yeah. he was going to come in, not be super expensive, teach my young guys and kind of teach them the way, then, yeah, I consider that. But I know he's late for meetings all the time because y'all just told me this. 
And you, so, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Like, you're not missing out on a bunch of veteran team. leadership. Nah, yeah. nah. He wanted, he, if, you're, if you're a fan, you probably only should want Earl Thomas if your team is one or two pieces away. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If you need like some extra on your defense for one year, like a rental, maybe two years, then you might be interested in Earl Thomas. But if you're a young rebuilding team, you have no, no use for Earl at all. Do you think it's Jerry Jones? Is that who you think is going to, you know, the Cowboys are going to bring him in? Potentially. I've seen, man, you know, the reports. Yeah. I've seen they Who were knows? interested. I've seen they were interested. I've seen all kind of stuff. That's you what know, I The Cowboys think they're one piece away every single year. So I don't exactly. know. Like, <laughs> so they, if anybody, they'll pull the trigger. I wonder about their cap situation, though. Yeah. Like, I, I, don't, I don't really know if they can, I don't really know, like, what's up with their cap situation. Because I know they've been trying to, like, clear up space. Because they're supposed to get hit hard, I think, next year with penalties and stuff. Mm-hmm. But So I don't know. That might be the one reason they don't bring him in. I want to, you know, before we end things, I want to revisit Trey Lance for one second. Because there was one thing I didn't say about that that I, I don't know if you know the answer to this or not. They're playing okay. one game this year with North Dakota State. Does that, yeah. do the players, I, I would have said his teammates are worried about losing eligibility. Because are they going to lose one year of eligibility for that's, one game? See, that's a great question. And I actually did think about that when I did uh, my reporting. But because I was just talking about Trey, I didn't super look into it. Yeah. I have um, no idea. I, I don't think they to, yeah, have so thought about I don't that know. Either. I don't know. Um, I've seen some people say um, they were having this game so that a lot of these guys wouldn't transfer. Mm. So, yeah. That that makes me think they're not going to lose eligibility, but I couldn't yeah. say for sure. That's it's a damn good question. Though. Well, also too, there, uh, what makes sense though is the teammates might go. It's worth the trade off because we're going to get so many eyeballs on us that we would never would have gotten otherwise. They might say it's worth it if we're going to have more scouts watching us play and have an opportunity to showcase our skill set. I mean, that might be the case for like three yeah. or four guys on the team who think they got a shot to go to the NFL. But if I don't think I got a shot to go to the NFL, I think it's very unlikely. I just want to play as many yeah. football games as I can before my career is over. Mm. I'm not going to burn a whole year for one game. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, man. Um, I, I was going to end that there, but I, there's one more thing I want to ask you. Because you, you played college football. You played at the FCS level. I had no idea. I always tell yeah. guys, I know a lot of people that have chosen to play FCS football. I'm really close to Eastern Washington. Their program, my friends there. I've worked there on their national championship run. I worked on the sidelines for them. Um, they, I know people that went there on scholarship rather than going to like a PAC 12 school as a walk on because they realized, Hey, I want to go somewhere. I'm actually wanted. I want to try to get playing time. I don't want to waste four years of my life as you know, a practice squad dummy. And can you speak to that at all? Cause you might have some kind of experience with that where I think it's important to chase playing time, chase (laughs) the experience you want. And I don't know that everyone thinks about it that way. Yeah, I wish I could say I was thinking about that when I was coming mm-hmm. out of high school. I yeah. wasn't. I mean, it makes total sense to me as an adult. And if I had to make that decision today, yeah, I would err on that side. Go somewhere that you wanted. And I, I said FCS. Let me, let me be clear. I went to a, a D1 AA school, Southern University. Yeah. It's a historically black college. Mm. Um, but on NCAA, like football game series, we would have been considered FCS. Yeah. So... <clears throat> For me, I just didn't. Um, I didn't have the uh, the experiences, man. I just really didn't know. I didn't know no better. I'm from a small place, mm. so going to I went to Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Mm. Coming from where I come from was like going to LSU. It was like the same thing. You know what I'm yeah. saying? We're I didn't really even understand the differences. Yeah, I didn't understand the differences in the schools until I got there. It was it was much 
much later because that's just not something that where I'm from. The biggest schools are like Alcorn State University, uh, where Steve McNair played at, which is right down the street from my house, by the way. Another mm. D1AA yeah. school, HBCU. <clears throat> and so I didn't even understand like the difference in like the SEC and like the uh, the swag. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I didn't <laughs> yeah. I didn't really get it. So yeah, it really it really wasn't something I thought about. I had, I only sent my tape. This is how little ambition I had. I only sent my tape because I didn't go to any camps. Every time mm. you had like a football camp, we also had a basketball game. I was a basketball player, so mm. I wasn't worried about no camp. I was going hoop. You know, dumb decision in hindsight, but this was my mindset. Um, but yeah, I sent my tape to only SWAC schools. Every last one of them offered me a scholarship. I went on two visits. I went, on, I went to Southern and I went to Jackson State. And I was supposed to go to all of them, but I just felt like it was kind of a waste of time. Wow. I was like, bro, yeah, because I was about wow. to leave forever. Like, I'm, you know, about to leave yeah. my hometown. Um, and I'm I'm kind of the man here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I knew, well, I was like, I knew when I left, I was going to have to start all the way over. So I was like, I, I kind of want to just spend this time at home. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, And so I went on two visits, and I was like, all right. I looked at, I went and looked at the stats on their websites. Which receivers had the most yards? This is what I looked at. And I was like, okay, they throw the ball a lot. I'm going to go there. Don't really matter where I go. I'm going to be the man. No problem. And, you know, dumb decision in hindsight, the way I made it. But that's exactly how I made it. I didn't even think that deeply about it. Like, I just assumed things would work out for me. Why the swack? I've never heard anyone say that they, they pursued only those schools and not bigger or not other places. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just because, again, so... Where I grew up, man, Lorman, Mississippi. Mm. Um, again, Alcorn State is in Lorman. So yeah. I grew up on that campus. I'd walk to that campus every day to play basketball, football, whatever, with the college kids, or whatever. So, and then Steve McNair at the time, it was Air McNair. He had bumper mm -hmm. stickers on yeah. every car, my teacher's desk. There's pictures of him throughout my entire school. So to me, in this little small bubble that I'm in, I oh. honestly... And I, what I tell you, Steve McNair and Michael Jordan were like on the same level for me. <laughs> yeah. Like I literally thought this. Huh. So I didn't really, I just really didn't understand. Like, like I was saying, I understand the differences. So to me, going to the SWAT school, like that's, that's great. Like everybody in my family wanted to play for Alcorn. Everybody I went to school mm -hmm. with wanted to play for Jackson State. Like that's what everybody wanted to do. So when I had the opportunity to do it, you know, I was the luckiest guy in the world. So yeah. to me, it was kind of a no-brainer. And so, <laughs> yeah, that's really just me being naive, man. That was really what it came from, huh. you know. Turns out it was one of the best decisions I ever made. Like, Hell not yeah. from a football standpoint, but I met my wife there. Mm -hmm. I met all my best friends who are still my best friends till this day. I met them all in college. You know what I'm saying? Like, the experiences I had there really shaped who I became because I was a completely different person than I was when I went there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. It really shaped who I became, and, like, I, I damn sure don't regret it at all. <laughs> hey, man, uh, I guess last thing, have you ever been to Death Valley? Uh, no, not for a game. Really? Wow. You, I, I would I never know. You lived in Baton Rouge for a while. I was curious. Um, <laughs> no interest. I had no interest, bro. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I go to the bars. And stuff mm. after the game, but like I never had any interest in going to the games. I didn't even really watch the games. Mm. Like when I was there, I didn't even watch them on TV, man. 
Man, I, hey, I want to say thank you so much. This has been a great interview. Uh, you're awesome. You, you give me like way more time than I would have expected or would have wanted uh, initially, man. Thank you so much. You're awesome. You're a great oh, for guest. Sure, bro. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, man, yes, thank sir. you so much. You're awesome. For sure, man. I'm happy to be on, bro. Anytime you want me on, I come through. No problem. All right, my man. Thank you so much. Have a great day. And uh, let's enjoy All the right, football dude. season. It's going to be awesome. Dude, it's, it's only like... 10 days away. It's crazy. It's right around the corner. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be awesome. Take care, man. Thank you so much. (laughs) I do. Bye. All right. Let's shift gears. Uh, After my phone interview with Flemlo, and by the way, didn't you love that? That was great. I love him. Uh, Just a fun time. We talked way longer than I meant to. Uh, But after my phone interview with Flemlo, my dad came over. He sat right over there. And we had a conversation about the state of baseball and their unwritten rules and I, I'm just, I'm not, it doesn't need any more introduction. My dad's a weirdo. He wears stupid sunglasses and um, he says things that I think are silly. He's, his age is showing a little bit. God, God help him. Uh, he says words and tries to be hip that I don't understand, but it's fun. It's a good time. I hope you enjoy it. Take a listen. We'll play that right now. All right. Joining me now is my dad, Stephen Schaumler. <laughs> What's popping, Zach? I What's can't. popping? Oh my God. I can't do the glasses. Um, don't make me regret having you on the show. No, we're going to have a lot of fun. By the way, um, I feel like I'm old school Zach or classic Zach because you're rocking the flannel today. I guess. Yeah, it's not a Hawaiian shirt. But, I know. Uh, and when you wear that Hawaiian shirt, I'll tell you, that outfit is flat dripping, baby. I got to tell you. I don't know what you're saying. I don't know if you know what you're saying. I Oh, I do know what I'm saying. Well, anyways, we should get started. You're dating I, yourself. Like you're, you're, <laughs> I want to say boomer, but I'm not cool enough to say that. I'm not a boomer. I'm an well, Xer. It's just funny. I bring the old guy on the show to talk about baseball. Is that telling about baseball or is that, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, okay. As I say on the my one of my YouTube channels, Sparked a Bonfire channel, I'm ready. You ready? Let's do this thing. All right, let's. I got to say first on on the show, uh, and not on the show, around the house. I talk about. I refer to the Hawaiian shirt as the party shirt. It's just comfy. It's great. I. It's much better and not as hot as this. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm wearing this, but I. Well, I like both. Actually, in all seriousness, I like the flannel look. I like the Hawaiian look. It's very, very good. (laughs) All right, let's spill the tea. All facts, no printer. What's our topic? Come on now. Stop with it. You got it. These like weird young. I don't I don't even say those things. I don't even you don't even know what they mean. No, I don't think you do either. I'm not confident. Oh, speaking of outfits, you're saying drip and spill the tea and what's popping. All facts, no printer. But check this out, by the way. I am rocking my uh, strong opinion sports sweatshirt and I got my strong opinion shirt under here. I'm doing a tight zoom to my face just as I look disappointed. Like, oh, and I got my strong opinion sports mug. I tell you right now, that is one mighty fine flex. Jesus Christ. Stop it. No. We can't. We can't. You know, I'm, I'm going to leave this in the full episode. I'm cutting it out of the breakout. I'm not leaving no, all this. No, cut it out of the breakout. In. Come on now. People love it. What's um, the topic? I want to talk about baseball. Some of the unwritten rules are they're discouraging me from liking the league. And I know that I'm, I'm really careful when I talk about baseball because I like the sport of baseball. But I don't. Major League Baseball right now has really been. I mean, what, what did I do as a kid? I, I pitched. I played baseball as a kid. I love the sport. Um, and I the sport is great. I go watch Portland Pickles games uh, when they're, last summer when they're happening. But Major League Baseball right now is really turning me off with all their – it's a lot of stuff, but the unwritten rules certainly are not helping. So here's what I'm hearing. You've got two different things. One, you're struggling with Major League Baseball. Yep. And you've got the whole unwritten rules of baseball. Now, yeah. I watched you play baseball a lot, drove around a lot, you know, drove around in my – Old school, scary, terrible minivan. Um, went to a lot of games, threw a lot of kids and a lot of stuff in the back. Um, 
And I drove around. I, I even had some NFL future NFL players in the back of that minivan for at a time, which was a lot of fun. But um, I don't ever remember hearing you getting taught a lot about unwritten rules when you played baseball. No, you we never pitched, talked about it. You pitched. You had yeah. a great time. You did good. You loved it. Uh, by the way, what was your number? 42. And why? I love Jackie Robinson. They, people called me Zachy Robinson. I really, uh, I always admired Jackie Robinson. Yeah, pretty amazing. Okay, so what are the unwritten rules of baseball? What, what does that mean? I don't even, it's a, it's a bunch of nonsense to me. It's stuff that isn't in the rule book that players deeply, it's not even, it's not everybody. Can we actually start? I think the best way to introduce this topic is to talk about um, what happened two weeks ago with Fernando Tatis. Where he's a he plays for the San Diego Padres. Uh, his team was up ten to three. It was the eight eight or ninth inning, I believe, and he hit a grand slam on a three zero count. And in baseball, the unwritten rule is you're not supposed to swing on a three zero count when you're up near the end of a game. And there's some like benchmark, like six runs in the six after the sixth inning, some nonsense, and it's just all dumb yeah, because, to me. Well, it makes perfect sense though because teams can't come back six runs after the sixth inning. It never happens. It's impossible. No, it does happen, and it is possible, so it's stupid. But you're, you're right. If you're up, if it's three strikes, three balls, no strikes, and there's another pitch coming, you're supposed to let that one go right down the plate and not swing at it. And then when you have one strike on you, then the next time you can maybe swing. It, it is a stupid unwritten rule. So Fernando Tatis hits a grand slam. like His second home run of the game, this incredible moment, and he's, like, he's happy. I mean, you hit a home run, you're, you're happy about it. He and did the just manager, hit a home run. He hit a grand slam. Yeah, and yes, it made his team up fourteen to three. But really, what it did in my mind is it closed out the game. It's like, no, you're not coming back. The game is over. We won. And what I don't like is that his team, his manager, everyone kind of discouraged him and made him apologize for hitting a home run. And it's like you don't understand. His job is to hit home runs. He's paid money to succeed batting and hit home runs. And if he doesn't hit a home run, like I guess my point is that it's incentivized. You pay him to do that. And the more home runs he hits, the more he's going to get paid in his next contract. So I don't know how you could possibly discourage a guy from doing their job. Not to mention, I think one thing that drives me nuts about this whole conversation is that the pitcher was trying to get him out. Other, like the, the pitcher, if he doesn't swing on that, like if he doesn't, if he doesn't swing on a 3 0 count, the pitcher's going to try to strike him out. And the first three pitches were all low and away. He's trying to get him to chase and get him to swing. And it's like, how can the pitcher compete, but the batter's not allowed to compete back? And then I'm sorry, but it's not my job to cover your butt if you're a bad pitcher. It's called competition. <laughs> and this discouragement of competition drives me nuts in baseball. Okay, so you, you've got uh, on this episode, uh, I'm not in that segment. You recorded an incredible pod, uh, segment with who today? Uh, Flemlo Raps. Flemlo Raps. Oh, I'm so excited for him. Well, someone else I would, I would love to have, as you have a guest on Strong Opinion Sports, is John Boy. John Boy Media, yep. He does amazing for I think baseball. Jimmy O'Brien is his name. What is it? I think his name is Jimmy O'Brien. Jimmy O'Brien. So I've talked to him a little bit through it, the John Boy Media account. They're, it's they're great it's not people. John Boy on his birth certificate? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> anyway. But I've talked to their whoever runs their Instagram account. I've talked to that person. I assume it's Jimmy O'Brien. I, I don't know, but they're great people all around. I think it'd be great to have him as a guest. I think you guys hit it off. But um, he has a video, and I'm sure you can put a link in the comments. But I will, he yeah. has a video where he really goes in depth, and he says pitchers are basically babies. And and I went. Wow, it, it, it kind of makes it all make sense. If pitchers are babies and they can't handle being unsettled, then you have to coddle them and, you know. You have to walk on eggshells and tiptoe around to not make pitchers mad. Yeah, because that pitcher was still trying to get him out. And, still, and, they, and the other team, had they quit? 
Um, no. The Padres playing the Rangers. Had the Rangers no. quit and agreed, hey, we we waved the red flag. It's a sixth inning. We're not going to hit any more balls. We're just going to swing and strike out every time. We're done fighting to win, right? Yeah. That hadn't happened. So if the other team's not quitting, why should you quit? I don't. It you, makes you no shouldn't. sense. It's offensive to me. Yeah. Well, if, you're, that, if you're up 40 points in a football game, you're not going to stop running the ball or trying to— like you slow down a little bit to try to get the game over quickly. But if the other team starts going on a run and scoring more points, you're not going to go— Oh, well, we better stop and let them come back into this game. No, again, it's competition. You're trying to win. Yeah. And you, what you shouldn't do is, again, Fernando Tatis is judged on his batting average, on all this statistics. That's baseball works. Like, you can't just take, oh, this at bat I'm taking off because we're up by a lot. No. At the end of the season, when you look back at your numbers, which is what matters for contracts, no one's going to go, well, you know, he had a whatever batting average. But, you know, some of those at bats were he was up by a lot. And no one, no one factors that. No one cares about that stuff. So why should he? If that's not how his contract is made, why? You know what I mean? Like he's incentivized to do his job. Well, I think the bigger picture of unwritten rules. I think if they mattered, if the unwritten rules really mattered, they should put them in the rule book. Yeah. And, and if they don't matter, then like if I was a baseball player, I hate that kind of bureaucracy stuff. It just rankles me. I would do so badly in a corporate job now, where there's certain things you're supposed to do just because. Oh hell yeah, I, I couldn't. I, and, and I would not do well in baseball. It's like I don't care about unwritten rules. If it's, it's important. Put it in the rule book. Otherwise, you know, go F yourself. I would fight it really hard. And, and it's just – and I think a, a couple of different things happen. One is you end up with leave, having people feel left out, and it hinders belonging and hinders community. Who feels left out? The people that don't know the written rules. Yeah, Fernando Tatis didn't know he's not supposed to do that. He said that. He's like, I didn't know I, – when I, I played baseball as a kid a lot. I played in high school. I played uh, at many levels. And it, no one ever said, hey, if you're up by a lot at the end – don't swing on a 3-0 count. No, that never came up. That's not a thing that I was ever taught. And I, the other, so it leaves out uh, the players don't f- hinders belonging and community for the players because they don't. You know who else it leaves out? The fans, the casual fan who doesn't know and then doesn't understand. And then you would ex- and then why? I, here's so there's one problem. If I may, the, part yep. of the problem is if you explain it, it's dumb. If you try to tell someone why that guy got in trouble, people would go, really. That's effing stupid. So those are my two big problems. You nailed it. My two big problems, unwritten rules, whether in any organization, particularly in baseball, is it hinders community and belonging. And the second thing is they don't teach it. And exactly like you said, the reason they don't teach it is because it's stupid. Because once you start explaining it, people are like, well, that's dumb. That makes no sense. And it costs you credibility, which is why they don't put them in the rule book because it doesn't make sense. It's, It's an expression of dysfunction and lack of health, not of something that's good for the game. You worked in the not uh, the nonprofit world for a long time, yep. and in that, I don't want to go into that, but I will say that in that world, that, like music with drums was bad. People were not allowed to wear jewelry, and I'm going to go take a step aside and say, well, let's talk about the corporate world. For a long time in the corporate world, it was inappropriate to have tattoos, and it's like, why? That's that's just stupid. And we're seeing culture shift more recently, where you see people in offices with tattoos on their arms, and nobody cares because at the end of the day, does that hinder you from doing your job? No, no one cares if you have a flower on your arm. It doesn't matter. And I, I think these the silly rules, you hit it kind of, you said it right, is that if it, if it, if it isn't in the rule book, it probably shouldn't exist. It probably shouldn't be a thing. It's yeah, not and worth the, it. And the reason people don't know it is they don't teach it. And they don't teach it because if you were to teach some of the reasons for these rules. <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It costs you credibility. Embarrassing yeah. is the perfect word. And I think, you know, there's this whole um, get off my lawn. Uh, the yeah. whole old man syndrome. Yeah. And, you know, reading um, 
what the uh, the Rangers manager said after the game. It's like, dude, you are so an old man. Get off my lawn. It's funny, he's, he's in his like forties though. It looks like it, right? He doesn't even look like an old man. It's not like he's this old eighty year old dude who's like decrepit and can't move. I mean, it's just that's the generation beyond their twenties in baseball. Everybody above twenty years old seems to have all this weird nonsense they follow. Okay, and here's what he said. Okay, there's a lot of unwritten rules that are constantly being challenged in today's game. I don't like it personally. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I think all those unwritten rules should be challenged because they they. Usually the reasons suck, and if really the issue is the pitchers are babies, well, then pitchers need to grow up, and they need to man up and grow a pair. And again, if it's a big enough deal, make it a real rule. But you never would because you can't discourage competition in your rule book because that's stupid again. <laughs> I just go back to, like, this is all silly nonsense, and it's pushing me away from baseball. I love the sport of baseball. I like home runs. I, there was a play. It's, it's old now, maybe two couple of years ago. Jose Bautista hits this incredible home run. Flips his bat, and it's like, that's awesome. And, and ba- football, I, I love the sport of football, and part of what the NFL has done recently is they understand, hey, celebrations, letting people, you know, you score a touchdown, and you hold the ball, and you roll it down the end zone, and you're, you're all your teammates will end up like bowling pins, and they fall over. What that does is, it, it's not really, it's, it's a little bit more entertaining on TV, it's a fun moment, but what it really also does is gives you a moment on social media to share. Yes. And I... Some of my favorite things. I don't really watch baseball anymore. I watch John Boy. I watch highlights. I watch moments that are fun. But the majority of baseball, it's like they're sucking all the fun out of baseball. It's like, why? Yeah, and, and you know, you're not supposed to celebrate a home run. <sighs> yeah. That is so ridiculous. And this is too young for you. You should go look it up. But one <sighs> of the greatest home runs I ever saw was Kurt Gibson. He I've heard that name. Yeah. I think he, he had his baseball card a long time ago. Yeah, he, he could hardly walk. Um, he he limped up to the plate. Uh, you know that he's. Yeah, I think it's Game Six of the World Series. They're trying to win the World Series, and he gets down like um, uh, two strikes against him, and everything it looks hopeless. And I'm sitting there with your grandpa, Denny, mm-hmm. uh, and we're in his house. And Denny's super into baseball, and I grew up watching the Dodgers, and I liked Kurt Gibson, and he can he can literally he's standing on one foot. I mean, just kind of just barely can't put his weight down. And he hits a home run, and he runs around those bases going like this the whole time. I remember that video. We yeah, were, yeah, exactly. Was, it, was he a Mariner? No, he was a he was a Dodger. Okay, got it. Before I've that, seen, I've he seen played that video though. Like, yeah, and he went and he played for yeah. the um, before that he played for the Tigers, if I'm not mistaken. But he um, his joy, he just won a World Series game. His joy running oh, around I didn't the bases. Oh, World Series game. Definitely wasn't a Mariner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. And his joy running around the bases was effervescent and amazing mm. and fantastic. And I wish baseball could learn from its history and go back and embrace that. Like I love it when a guy hits a hits a beautiful long baseball and he hits it and then he stops and he looks and then it goes over the fence and he drops his bat and runs around. That is just so cool to me. It's like I want to do that. I want to hit a ball and watch it go over the fence and then run around the bases. And I don't think that's not in your face to anybody. That's like, hey, yes, dude, that is a mighty fine flex. That is way to go. I, I've said this before and I, I think it's important to restate. I don't talk about baseball as much as I'd like to. Uh, John Boy Media kind of does – He's like, you know, when you see someone doing charity work and you're like, oh, that's so good for the world. The work he's doing is almost like charity for baseball. It's so good for the sport of baseball because baseball is so full of little moments. Kurt Gibson hitting the home run, Jose Bautista flipping his bat, or some weird, like, uh, you know, a, a play where you get three outs on one hit. And you're like, well, how did you have a triple play? That's so weird. Like, baseball's got all these crazy special little moments. And John Boy, what they do 
and what he does, but I think it's it's a team of people. But what they do is they highlight all those special moments and show like this is cool, this is cool, this is great, that's great, and they show me what oh yeah, baseball still has something really good going on. But the more you discourage those little moments, the more you're hurting yourself because baseball as a whole, if you're not having those little moments, to me isn't interesting anymore. You you lose the fun. And if I understand correctly, Major League Baseball doesn't really embrace John Boy. Oh no. No, they don't. And he is he is an incredible ambassador and advocate for them, particularly yeah. to He's a younger, their best advertising campaign. Particularly to a younger generation that finds it hard to connect with. Baseball is not an easy sport to connect with. No, a part of the problem too is there's so many games. I mean, I I, I don't know how I'm gonna cover I, I'm still you know, you have a problem sometimes in life where you're like trying to wrap your head around how to solve it. Yep. I'm still the gears are turning, I'm still like how to I like baseball. I don't know how to cover it yet because if I record the NFL is really easy. Games happen on Sunday, sometimes Thursdays, sometimes Mondays. But for the most part, they're on they're on a weekend, and the weekend ends, and then you talk about the games, and then you get ready for the next weekend. Baseball is there's a game Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, Friday, Saturday, and like how do I talk about a game from Tuesday on Wednesday the next day when by the time I'm recording, it's probably the next game's already happening. It's like I don't, and I, even whether I'm following or ta- even if I'm not talking about baseball, just trying to understand what's going on. I can't follow all the storylines because it's literally like too many. I'm being bombarded with information. Like I can't – what baseball's geared towards I think is people that want to sit and watch only their team every single day. You can't follow the whole league. You can only really follow one team at a time if you watch that team every single day they're on. Well, and you you know, the, uh, to quote my friend Jerry, the way that your gyros are set is you watch – if you're going to do a film analysis, you just finished your T.J. Watt film analysis. Yep. Great video. Mm-hmm. You watched all 16 games. Yep. All 16 games. When you do a quarterback analyst video, um, you watch all 16 games because you want the storylines, you're in depth, you want to pay attention to it. And so that's how you approach baseball, wanting, right, wrong, or indifferent, to watch all the games. And it's just a fire hose. You can't drink from that fire hose. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, it's exactly right. <laughs> so I and and you like the storylines, but to try and even keep up with all of it, I mean, I can't track is, the storylines. It, Basketball's tough, but I can because it's at least there's a day between games. But I, I just can't do baseball. I, yeah, it makes and, and me maybe sad. if you do eventually in the future, maybe if you cover baseball, you'll just pick two or two teams, and you just kind of follow those teams. Throughout or I pick the a season. game once a week. I watch, and I just say like I can only cover one game a week. I I don't have an answer yet. I'm still still trying to figure it out. Yeah, but, but what you, I, what I don't want to do is like, well, what if what if I pick these two teams, and there's a young emerging team I want to talk about, and I can't even get to them because there's two. You know what I mean? Like I. I don't like that. I want to be able to talk about everything I can and follow everything, and, oh, and I he, just can't. And here's what's funny is that even though you struggle mightily with Major League Baseball, the amount of games and the stupid unwritten rules and the whole way they do things, you still love baseball. And I, I yeah. want to watch baseball. Right, exactly. They, what they have is a good product if they can figure out how to get it to me and get do it the right way. Like I, I, I keep trying, and baseball keeps breaking my heart over this, especially 2020, the way they've done things and – with the Astros, and they wouldn't play games for a long time, and the Marlins. It just they keep hurting me as a as a fan of the sport, and I can't. I feel like they're pushing me away, and I don't want to be pushed away. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to break up with you guys, but if you're not gonna, we can't. I can't keep doing this. It's like it's like going out with a friend, and every time you go out with a friend, they just get stark raving drunk. And you're like, I like you, but you make a big scene and get star craving drunk. I'm not going to go out with you anymore because you're not behaving in a way that's helpful. Or even more, it's like you go out with ah, – maybe, maybe – this is not probably what's really happening. Maybe this is how I feel though. Okay. It's like I'm going out with a friend and they just are mean to me every time I hang out with them. Uh, and after a while, you're like, I miss the good old days when you weren't mean to me, when hanging out with you wasn't a negative experience. 
I, I miss hanging out with you when it was good and it was fun. And the last 30 times I've hung out with Major League Baseball, it's been negative and not good and not fun. And I miss the good old days. And I, again, what I like about John Boy is he shows me those moments and reminds me of those good moments. But baseball keeps, for whatever reason, can't get their act together and stop from hurting me as a fan. Well, and, and it's, uh, it, to be, I'm so sorry, but it's, it's, it makes me sad because I don't want to break up with baseball. I want to be a fan. I want to follow them. And I keep trying, and it's, it's not working for me. What, um, what other sports does John Boy Media cover? I think he occasionally covers the NFL and like some random weird stuff. Like, but he's like baseball focus. Yeah, like every once in a while there'll be like some random. I think he like there was a like diving video I made the other day where like they had some weird Norwegian competition. Yeah, drunk diving in Norway. Yeah, he he follows like funny because <laughs> I think part of what John Boy does too is he he's a good storyteller. Yeah, and if you send him a good story, he's like, oh hell yeah, I'll make a video of this weird random thing. But that's not his but, bread and butter is baseball, and he primarily does baseball, which it makes sense if you're going to do baseball, you kind of really like he does. It would be hard for him to do base, do the NFL and baseball and the NBA the way he does baseball. Yep. Because there's just a lot to digest and consume and figure out. Here's what I'm going to focus on. And think talk of about. every team plays 162 games. There's 30 teams. Oh, I mean, God. he can make Major League Baseball content. The season can end, and he'll, he can still go back to like, well, let's talk about what happened in June and July and January. Like, he can go back and talk about anything he wants to all year. Kind of like I do with film analysis, actually. There's really no off season for John Boy because. There's so much content. There's no way he can cover everything he wants to during the season. He just goes back and talks about what he couldn't hit on the season. And, and fans of that team or that player watch it. And 162 yeah. games to me is just ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Say it out loud. The team you follow that you like is going to play 162 games. Who pickled their brains? Come on now. I... Can we do 82 and have a day off in between each one? I mean, that's... <laughs> about 60. I like the 60-game season. I, I think that'd be great. 60 games, all the games matter. Make it happen. And, and what's sad, too, is I thought that... I thought that the shorter season was going to be... I thought this was the... I was like, if I'm ever going to finally come back to baseball, this is the time. Because they're playing a shorter season. It's going to be interesting. There's a, a tense playoff atmosphere. And they... They're just they keep wasting it. They keep the, with the Marlins idiocy now. The unwritten unwritten rules nonsense. I'm I'm wondering like, am I not a fan of Major League Baseball? I like I like baseball, the sport, but am I am I just not a person who likes Major League Baseball? And I, what's sad to me too is that if you say anything negative about baseball, if you criticize anything, Major League Baseball fans just attack you and come after you. It's like, okay, you guys can all be mean, quiet weirdos in your corner like weirdos is not the right word there but i didn't want to say a-hole <laughs> but it's like you guys can all grumpy be grumpy old men get off my lawn you, grumpy old men you can all be grumpy in the corner but no one's gonna after a while your party's gonna go away and there's no one there's no no one's gonna be there like i i and i don't i just don't well because they're <sighs> defending things that don't make sense and don't have credibility and other sports are growing and they're not i i don't know i don't know all right, I think we beat this horse. It's been fun to be on uh, Be Once Again, Strong Opinion Sports. I think you'd have me on every six to 12 months. I love that. I think it's great. <laughs> Once or twice a year. Once or twice, exactly. <laughs> Come talk crap about the Bengals and leave. <laughs> oh, hey, hey. Hey, we had, we had Flemlo on today, and we don't hate the Bengals. I wish I had an indoor practice facility. <laughs> oh, man. Love me some Cincinnati. I got to oh, say that. Gosh. Cincinnati is a great little town. Uh, here's a good time to say all this before you go. Um, we've been talking a little longer than I wanted to but it's okay. Um, P- 
people don't seem to understand that just because you are critical, you use critical analysis, you think about something and go, I don't like X, doesn't mean you're a hater, doesn't mean you, I, I love Cincinnati. I want the Bengals to work. I want Joe Burrow to work. I, I like ba- Major League Baseball. I want it to work. I want it to be good. I want it. Just because I'm critical of something doesn't mean I hate it. I think I, what I always say, and it's kind of silly and stupid, but I, I love Nintendo. They're a great company. They're, I, I love their video games. I like their stuff. They made a, a video game console called the Wii U. And it's like, first of all, it wasn't clear that, oh, it's not the Wii. It's like a different separate thing. It's a terrible name. This it had this crappy controller that sucked. It was just a, it was an effing nightmare. It was not a good console. And even though I love Nintendo, I love their games, I love Mario, I love Zelda, I love all the stuff they do, I'm not going to support that. Like, you better bring your A game or I'm not going to support you. And by criticizing Nintendo, everyone did. No one bought the console, no one supported them. What we got was a great thing that they followed up with with the Nintendo Switch. And so it's healthy to have an environment where you criticize and you talk about stuff you don't like because what it does is forces people to grow and change, hopefully. Okay, but, th- but the reason they don't teach the rules in baseball, the unwritten rules, is because it's embarrassing because they don't make a lot of sense and you cost you credibility, right? Yeah. The reason that there are certain cultures where you can't say what's wrong with the cultures, whether it's business or, or well, in the nonprofit talk about world. Ferrari and Formula One. You can't say anything about Ferrari or else you get fired. And that it's an unhealthy environment because all it does is breed all kinds of secrecy and quietness. And That's where I was going. That's why Ferrari's terrible right now in Formula One is because they're really dysfunctional. They can't talk about stuff. There's no dialogue. There's no conversation. It's If you say anything bad, you're fired. But if you don't say anything bad, we're not going to win and succeed. You can't have everyone saying yes all the time. Doesn't yeah, work. and in cultures where you can't say anything, you can't be off without getting attacked. Those are unhealthy cultures, and those eventually they just don't work, and they 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 create a kind of thing that is just very very unpleasant. Totally agree, Dad. Thank you so much for being here. Love you so much. Love you. Proud of you. Love me some strong opinion sports. <laughs> My favorite sports past sportscaster, Zach Schumler. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation between my dad and I. Uh, it is now. What time is it? It's two thirty-eight in the morning. Here in the Portland area where I live, I guess, like Portland's like, downtown Portland's like burning to the ground, which is neither here nor there. But ugh. I mean, I, I technically live in the Vancouver, Washington uh, area, which is, I would call a suburb of Portland. Um, but again, it's 2.38 in the morning. And do you know what that means? That means it's time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show, uh, where we read questions from the audience. In case you don't know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. You can give a dollar a month. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. Uh, you can give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Again, every dollar counts. It helps me a ton. But just a simple dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. And here's how it works. If you submit a question, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is that I look at every single question with my eyeballs, and then I pick the top couple to read on the show. And so the first question of the day is from Justin. Justin writes in, He says, hi, Zach. Out of all the rookie non-quarterbacks drafted this year, these are guys who are not quarterbacks, out of all of those guys drafted this year, who do you expect to have the most dominant performance this season? Uh, Four dudes came to mind for me. Number one, who's going to be most dominant? I think it's Chase Young out of Washington. He's a defensive end. He was the best non-quarterback drafted in the NFL draft this year. It's really not fair to compare quarterbacks to other positions because – it's just their their own thing. Quarterbacks are like centers in basketball, where they're their own thing. It's hard to judge them against other positions because they're so different, and the positions they play are so different. The roles to play on their team are so different and unique. 
But I would not want to play against Chase Young, the defensive end out of Ohio State. He is a nightmare to block. Um, like he makes me want to watch Washington this year. I want to watch Chase Young. I want to watch Dwayne Haskins. And I can already see he's going to cause a lot of problems for quarterbacks, whether it's Daniel Jones getting sacked or Dak Prescott with the Cowboys on his back constantly because he's got Chase Young in his face or literally taking him to the ground. Um, Chase Young is the guy that I think probably will be most dominant as a rookie, not in quarterback. But a couple other guys come to mind. For me, two and three are on this list for the same reason. Both the Eagles and the Raiders last year really were in need of a number one receiver. And so Henry Ruggs is a new receiver for the Raiders, got drafted in the first round. He's going to have a huge impact. He really reminds me a lot of Tyreek Hill from Kansas City, where he's fast. He's a big-time playmaker. He's explosive. He can go up and get the ball, go get jump balls. He's a big deal. He's going to be awesome. And so far, Henry Ruggs has had a great camp with the Vegas Raiders, and he's doing good stuff. He's going to have a great year this year. And really, the key is he's going to make the Raiders better. Having a number one receiver is going to help them. It's also going to help the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles got Jalen Rager on the first round at a TCU. And Carson Wentz, I am sure, is so happy to have him. Because he is the explosive vertical threat that the Eagles need. He had a bad quarterback in college. His numbers aren't quite right. But he gets open deep often. He can get a jump ball as a jump ball threat. Uh, perfect for the Eagles. My buddy Brett Coleman made a great video breaking down exactly why, and kind of laying out why Jalen Rager's a great fit for the Eagles. He really is, and uh, he's going to have a big impact for their roster. He, they need a number one receiver outside that can make plays and win vertically, and they finally got Carson Wentz, a guy like that. Number four, uh, someone no one's really talking about, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. When the Kansas City Chiefs drafted him out of LSU, at the end of the first round, I looked around and I just I looked on Twitter and went, "Oh no, why is no one talking about this?" The only person, actually, ironically, of course, the only person who was talking about this was well, Brett Coleman, because he kind of I think he sees the game of football better than other people. Um, the rich got richer when they drafted Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Remember, if you watched any LSU football last year, he made play after play after play, and they got a guy that they don't need—a running back who can. I mean, that's what the Chiefs did. The Chiefs got a running back they don't need. A running back who can run well, makes a bunch of really good cutbacks. He's also a great receiver. They are, the Chiefs are so good at designing screens. And think about how Clyde edwards Lair, a guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield, makes the Chiefs just a matchup nightmare. You've got so many great receivers. You're trying to cover Travis Kelsey, not to mention Tyreek Hill. Oh, and if you cover everybody vertically downfield, drop everybody off into coverage. Well, we'll check it down to Clyde edwards Lair. And he'll just make people look silly. So I, I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, if it's not Chase Young, then probably the second player. I shouldn't have maybe listed him number two. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has a chance to be incredibly dominant this year for Kansas City. And it would not shock me if Kansas City maybe won the Super Bowl again this year because they just got better. It's kind of scary, kind of terrifying. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to be a really big impact player for Kansas City this year. Assuming some freak injury doesn't happen and he gets hurt, uh, you can't predict injuries. But what I've seen so far, man, this guy's going to create matchup nightmares when you play against Kansas City. So Landon writes in. He says this. He says, hi, Zach. Oh, what am I saying? No, different. different. That, was, that was Justin's question. Moving on now. Landon writes in. He says, Cal football has been. <sighs> I need pineapple juice. I need a reset. I just keep missing this, man. I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm trying. Try number three. Having fun with it. 
Landon writes in, he says, Cal football has upset some really good opponents like North Carolina and Ole Miss. If they keep it up, do you think recruiting will get even better for them in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I called the game last fall at Cal, and I met a lot of people there. I saw their facilities. I saw their campus. Number one, if I was a kid who got offered a scholarship by Cal, I'd say, look, they got a great coach. They're building something. The campus is beautiful. The weather is really pleasant. It's moderate. It's not insanely hot like L.A., or the South, um, Berkeley, man, is a, I, I could never live in Berkeley. It's like, everything's like a million dollars, but it's a beautiful town. It's a little too busy for me, too. I don't really, I couldn't live in the Bay Area. I need more quiet and seclusion. Even in the suburbs where I'm at, it's too busy for me. So, um, I, I, look, I know this, man, that Cal's building something for sure. Justin Wilcox is an awesome coach. I'm excited for their program moving forward. What it feels like to me is kind of like when John Harbaugh first got to Stanford, and you're like, oh. They're turning this around. This could be, it took a little while, and it's going to take a little while with Justin Wilcox, but they're building something. They got good coaches. What I'm so impressed about with Cal, they had a, their starting quarterback get hurt last year. And I was at, I called the Washington State versus Cal game, and Cal beat Washington State. And Devin Modster was a quarterback for Cal, their backup quarterback off the bench. And Cal had an incredibly good game plan where, they were giving Devin Modster great matchup after great matchup after great matchup, great play call after great play call. And what they did was they gave a backup quarterback a great game plan to succeed and beat Washington State where he didn't have to do a lot of decision-making. They were getting the ball out of his hand quick. And just it gave me a lot of confidence. And not, They have a great defense. Justin Wilcox is a defensive-minded head coach. But Cal's offensive coaching in that game especially really stood out to me where I went, oh, they, they know how to game plan. They know how to call plays. They really, they made a backup quarterback's job really easy, like getting the ball out of his hands quickly, making sure that his first read was the right read so that he didn't have to do a lot of processing. If a quarterback's throwing to their first read a lot, what that really usually reflects is play calling. It means play calling's really good, and they're, they're really kind of have a great beat on what the defense is doing. Cow, man, they're a program that's building, and I really, really feel good about them as a program moving forward. Darcy writes in, he or she, they say, hey, Zach, what are your thoughts on BYU football? If it's a dude, I'm sorry. I, I'm sure you get that all the time. Darcy says, hey, Zach, what are your thoughts on BYU football? Do you think there's any hope of them joining the Big 12 or another conference? How do you think being independent this coming season will affect them or the team's reputation or standing in the world of college football? I have very little to say about BYU. Um, they're a program that's really kind of a... They're basically a group of five team where they're not really good enough to be a Power 5 conference school if they, they should, they have, they have the reputation good enough to join a Power Five school, um, but they're about as good as like a Memphis or a Cincinnati, where occasionally a big win, but they're really not a gigantic program. And to me, it's just please, can BYU join a conference? Can you stop with the independent nonsense? BYU, Notre Dame is worse, but I, I don't know that it's the truth because at least Notre Dame went to a national championship recently. They've had a lot of success. When has BYU been good? In a long time. I mean, and, and I don't mean good. I mean, nationally relevant. If you're going to be an independent, you got to be embarrassing people. And when is BYU hasn't been like that in a long, long time. And so I, I think, man, BYU, pony up, join a conference, stop with the weird ego inflating stuff. Uh, I, I, I've never been to Provo, Utah, but I've been to Salt Lake City. I, look, I like it down there. It's actually not terrible. And I, I hear there's good lake nearby. Not, not Salt Lake, obviously. I mean, other lakes are in that area. Um, and so Provo, man, I'm sure it's not a terrible place to be. I'm sure it's pretty and 
Um, nah, I don't know. We'll not get into it anymore, but I, join a conference. That's all I'm saying. Please, 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 BYU. Join a college football conference. Okay, next question is from With Your Eyeballs. They write in, they said, what is the best sound in sports? A swish, a crack of the bat, a crushing tackle, a perfect drive off a tee, etc. What is the best sound in sports? To me, right, the best sound in sports. And I'm going to share my runner-ups first. My runner-ups were maybe a home run, a a crack of a home run. Sounds great. Um, An F1 engine. Oh, my gosh. Down the straightaway. An F1 engine accelerating. Maybe my second best, second favorite sound in sports. Maybe Al Michaels' voice. You ever heard Al Michaels calling baseball or a a Sunday night football game? Al Michaels is phenomenal. Uh, But to me, the best sound in sports comes from the NBA. It's that sound of a swish. When you, when Damian Lillard hits a 35-point jump shot, and you're like, oh, it sounds so good. At sound, I don't really care what the shot looks like. It's the sound. The swish sound is the best sound in sports to me. Um, nothing beats it. I think the NBA has done a great job. I'm pretty sure they have microphones like in the backboard picking up that sound. And, oh, it's just – you ever been in a quiet gym? Forget the NBA for a second. Forget televised sports. You ever been in a gym alone and, and shooting jump shots? If you, when you wet a three oh, and the, the net just like, I don't know how to put it. Just like it goes up. It, it's so, such a good shot. The net goes up and you're like, ah, oh, that sound just beautiful. Just perfect. Okay. Um, I need, I need some uh, pineapple juice for this. Adam writes in with a long question and probably one of the best questions I've ever had on this podcast. We'll start with pineapple juice. Cause I got to get. This one's long. It's a lot to say. It's very important to it. It's a really uh, one of the few questions that I think is just really meaningful. So, Adam writes in. He says, can I find it? Oh, come on. What? Hold on. I got to go find it. My stupid phone sucks really bad. So, Adam writes in. says, hi, Zach. You're a great YouTuber, and I love your podcast. You're very knowledgeable about sports, Adam. Thank you so much. Uh, He says, I played football, and I'm an aspiring coach. I don't know if you've done coaching or not, but you played longer than I did. Can you tell me a time when you were getting ready to play an opponent that in every facet of the game was better than you? Sort of like an SES opponent not named North Dakota State. So let's say... say Sacramento State. Sort of like Sacramento State going up against a school like, say, Ohio State or Alabama where every media outlet is expecting you to get blown out. What is the message like that week leading up to a game from the coaches? I know the objective is to win and play the best you can, but players are smart. And when I was a senior in high school, my varsity team went one and eight. The only win was coming against a 4A Gladstone, and we missed the postseason for the first time in a long time for the high school I went to. And the coaches at the beginning of summer knew that it was going to be a tough outing for the year, as the varsity team lost like 22 seniors, and the majority of my team did not have much varsity experience. In fact, only about four or so players returned from the previous year, and we had a team that we had the team the league's toughest schedule by far, as nearly all the teams we played made the postseason the previous year and were slated to do it again that year as well. So I sort of remember the message, but I always had the mindset that we could win every game. But there were players on the team that did not have the same optimism as I did. And even before we started playing games, it showed. We got blown up at Wilsonville, whose quarterback was Connor Neville, a good friend of mine. Uh, we got blown up by Central, got blown up by Springfield. Summit, who had Drew Bledsoe as their quarterback. I think he means Drew Bledsoe's son. Drew Bledsoe is the coach of Summit, I believe. 
Uh, that's in Bend, Oregon. What is a message like from a coach when you know a blowout is likely? Adam, one of the best questions I've ever been asked on this podcast. Oh, let's take our time. Uh, this is complex. Uh, you need to handle this carefully. This topic is very important. And there are a lot of rah-rah, high-energy coaches that kind of just say things out of their, their butt uh, that handle a situation like this poorly. When a team is likely to get blown out, what do you say to your guys? What do you say to your players if you're the coach? And number one, this is important because you got to be honest, but you also cannot tell them that you're going to lose because if you say, hey, kids, we're going to lose, number one, it's too easy to misinterpret. I mean, a kid tells their parents you're getting fired. It's not good. And the other problem is maybe you crush a kid's spirit. I mean, there are kids that may not have the maturity to hear and process that information that, hey, you're playing against – no, what's what's that team? Sheldon, Oregon, and they're incredible, and they're going to kick the crap out of you. You have no chance. Um, so it's a fine line, but you also want to be honest with your players. You don't want to give, again, say everything but you're going to lose. But be honest. Say this is going to be a tough game. The worst thing you can do is lie to your players. If you lie to your players, if you're not authentic, they can smell it. They know. People can smell inauthenticity. It doesn't work. It, it's just not a good, effective tool as a coach really any facet of life. It's just not good to be unauthentic in my mind. When I was in high school, I played a team. I played the best team in Oregon. Uh, it was Sheldon High School at the time. We got killed like 64 to 14. Uh, that was my sophomore year. And then in, in Washington, we played against Camus, uh, Washington. And both of those teams won state. And we knew, I wouldn't say we knew, but people didn't think we had a shot in those games. And I, well, you can't say to them, like, if you don't believe your players can beat a team, don't say, we're going to beat these guys if you don't believe it. That's just inauthentic and wrong. But also saying that you have no shot is unhelpful. It's just not good. You want to give your players hope. So here's what you do. You give your players a detailed plan to say, hey, guys, look, this is going to be the hardest game of the year, maybe of your lives. These are the seven things we need to do. And if we do these seven things, we're going to be in a really good position in this game. So, like, hey, they love this tunnel screen. We're going to take away the tunnel screen. We're ready for it. They run it all game. We're going to take this play away. Or they love running outside. We're going to shut them down outside. We're going to set the edge. They're not going to win by running outside. And then you tell them, here's how you do that. And you practice the details it takes. Like, hey, here's how we set the edge. Or we're playing cover two this week. We're not going to let them hit a whole shot. We're going to practice a whole shot a ton. Whatever little nerdy nuance you need to tell your players to get them ready to shut down those things you're trying to do in that game plan that week, be very detailed, be very clear. Give them a list of goals to shoot for. Number one, if you shut down what they're good at, but they still beat you, say you... They're really good at 10-yard outs. They don't complete a single 10-yard out. And they're really good at tunnel screens. you got this tunnel screen they love. And you do not let them win with that tunnel screen. And they're great at running the ball outside. And you, your defense doesn't let them run the ball outside. So you shut down the things they're good at. If they make an adjustment and beat you, then, hey, at least you challenged them. And you made them beat you a different way. You made them, you took away what they're good at. And then if they beat you, hey, at least we did everything we could. So that's okay. You challenged them. You made them beat you a different way. That, to me, if you're playing against a team that's way better than you and get the crap kicked out of you, but you take away what they're good at, that's a win. It's like a meta win. And if you can't stop them at what they're good at, you can't stop the 10-yard out, you can't stop the run to the outside, the tunnel screen shreds you, 
then it's very clear, guys, we know why we lost. We, we had an expectation. We had a goal. We didn't meet it. And they kept beating us outside. They kept, their tunnel screen killed us. We know why we lost. Whatever it is they do well, aim to take it away. But you can't lie to your team. You can't, I mean, look, you can't take away their hope, but you got to be honest. Say everything but we're going to lose. You can't say we're going to lose. But look, say again, this will be the hardest game of your lives. And give them clear goals. Let them play that meta game where you might lose, but you can have a small victory where when you watch film, you play games Friday night, Saturday morning, you go in to watch film, and you go, guys, we lost by 30 points. But let me tell you what. Jimmy took away that 10-yard out. They didn't complete a single 10-yard out to their tight end all game. Find little tiny victories along the way. So if you lose, you can say, look, we did good stuff in this game. Find things to aim for. Find things to shoot for. The key is giving your players something to fight for and then tell them to enjoy it. If I was a coach at New Mexico State University and we were traveling to Alabama, Bryant-Denny Stadium to play Alabama, then you know, or, or maybe you're in high school, maybe you're a Texas high school team and you're playing Allen, Texas, or you're in California, you're playing modern-day high school, right? No matter what the situation is, if you're playing a team that's really good and it's going to be a cool atmosphere where, hey, the crowd's huge, and it's like a once-in-a-lifetime crowd. If you're at Alabama, for example, and you're New Mexico State, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to play in front of a crowd like that, and you're playing a cool team in a cool big stadium. And Your team might not have a shot, but tell them to enjoy that experience, enjoy that journey. And then really, it's rare that you ever have a game where your team has truly no shot at all. It's very rare. I mean, Appalachian State beat Michigan. And so I would throw that out there, say, look, at least put it out there. We have a shot pretty much always. There's, there's very few situations where you don't have a shot. At least throw it out there to their players. Remember, here are some examples of some big upsets where no one expected a team to win. Give them hope. So these are the things I want you to take away from this. Don't lie to your kids. Don't, do not say, don't give them false hope. Be realistic. Uh, but give them some hope and give them clear goals and expectations. And then tell them to enjoy that experience. The crowd, the big stadium, yada, yada. And then again, the death penalty. Don't tell them they're going to lose. Because, number one, it's too easily to be misunderstood. A kid tells a parent and you're on the hook and you're getting fired because you're, you're, it's too easy to get misinterpreted. And then also, you might crush a kid's spirit who doesn't have the maturity to process the information you're giving them. So again, don't lie to your kids. Give them clear goals, clear expectations, and tell them to enjoy Enjoy that experience. That's my advice to any coach who doesn't know what to tell their players uh, when they're playing a game against a team that is just far, far superior to them. Okay, W. Tyler writes in. My gosh. Um, (laughs) He says, Dear Zach's eyeballs, this is going to be super long-winded. Yes, it is. He says, So I understand if it doesn't make the show. However, and it will, put it in. I wanted to answer something I've never truly looked deep and asked myself. Why am I a fan of the Miami Dolphins? And this is W. Tyler. This is not me, Zach Chandler. He says, since you've become my favorite source for sports content, I thought this would be the best place and to the best place and person to present this internal exploration. I know you've stated in the past that the Ask Zach column can be used for questions, comments, stories, and for these purposes, why you are a fan of a certain team. I've always known why I'm a fan. It's simple. My dad is a Dolphins fan, and since I didn't adopt his basketball team or baseball team, I never thought to change my football fandom. And that, but that feels like a cop-out. 
what actually keeps me coming back to the team that was, at best, mediocre since being born. He's a Dolphins fan. God bless his soul. He says, for most of my life, I was never a huge football fan. Of course, I had merch from my dad. Uh, I'd been to at least one professional and collegiate game, neither of which I remember. But the game and its more complicated rules always eluded me. When I got my first chance to play in middle school, I never understood anything, and I never thought to tell the coaches that I lacked the knowledge that I needed and would leave the game before my freshman year. I never hated football, but I just had passive knowledge of it. I never got into football until after graduating in 2016. I remember hearing about how well the Dolphins were doing and midway through the season and well thought. Midway through the season and thought, oh, (laughs) I remember how well the Dolphins were doing midway through the season and thought, wow, the Dolphins were bad. I thought the Dolphins were bad. I cannot read this at all. He says, I started following team through the remaining games and was excited to see they made the playoffs. I had faith that our QB2 Matt Moore would be able to beat the Steelers uh, that we had beaten earlier that year. I learned what it meant to become a fan through hell and high water. As years have gone on, I learned more about their team and its players. I even found a new favorite player in Ryan Tannehill. I've learned some of the more advanced rules and joined fantasy leagues. I've become a huge fan of the game that looking back, I wish when I had the opportunity to play, I wish I was, look, I became a huge fan of the game that I wish I was when I had the opportunity to play. It says he wished he knew the game better and was a bigger fan of the game when he played. It says, but I never thought about who to root for or why I stayed with Miami. Looking into this, it still comes back to my dad. My parents divorced very young uh, before I developed any memories of them together. My dad, a native Texan like me, started watching football during the rookie season of Dan Marino and found his favorite player. Ever since then, he's been a huge proponent for the team. My dad has been a huge part of my life, and I'm very lucky of how active he's been in it for me and my brother. I think the combination of the 2016 team igniting my love for the game and my connection to my dad is the reason I've been a fan of the team for over of the team over 1,500 miles away, and I couldn't be happier for doing so. So, long story short, he's a fan of the Dolphins because of his connection with his dad. Um, I hope that lands. It's long. I hope it's interesting. Uh, I look. It's hard to read. Like that's like a thousand word essay. But I, I thought it was interesting enough to make the show. I'll leave it in. I liked it. Um, we're gonna end this show this way. On Sunday, we had the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa. Uh, It's taken me a couple days to talk about this race because, frankly, I wasn't in much of a hurry to talk about it. It wasn't a very compelling race. It didn't rain. And, man, once again, Mercedes dominated. And to me, in fact, the entire race, the top three never changed. Lewis Hamilton was in first. Valtteri Bottas was in second. And Max Verstappen was in third. That did not change during the entire race, not once. Now, Pierre Gassi had a good race. Uh, There was some competitive racing in the kind of middle of the pack area. But for me, it wasn't enough. I just, I didn't really enjoy the Belgian Grand Prix at all. And I have never hated people for winning. I admire success. When people are successful, I tend to look up to them and try to figure out how do they do it. I admire dynasties. But Sunday was the first time in my life and my journey watching Formula One that I was annoyed by Mercedes' dominance. It's finally gotten to me. And I don't hate Mercedes. I respect them. I actually really like Lewis Hamilton, their clear best number one driver. But Mercedes' dominance is different than other things I've seen in sports. For example, in the NFL, the New England Patriots were dominant for a lot of years, for a long time. 
But winning for the Patriots did not always feel guaranteed. It was tough for them. They had they had losses. They were, I mean, look at the Patriots Super Bowls. They were always interesting. They were always a last second field goal or an interception at the end. I mean, you can get mad that the Patriots kept winning Super Bowls, but I think every Super Bowl they played was within at least one score. I mean, every uh, the Patriots, you can't get mad at them for that gigantic twenty eight to three comeback. At the very least, the Patriots didn't win. 40 to nothing in the Super Bowl. I mean, I, I remember the Seahawks destroying the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl. That's boring. That's not fun. And so while you can hate the Patriots for winning a bunch, at least they had dramatic, fun, interesting football games. Watching the Mercedes F1 team in 2021 has been boring. Excuse me, in 2020, this year, has been boring because it's all blowouts. I mean, Mercedes is dominating at this crazy level. They've won six of seven races this year. Um, and what it is is like watching a football game where one team wins by 40 points. It's not competitive. It's not interesting. Or it's like in soccer or football, as if, if you're from Britain. Uh, it's like watching a game where a team wins by 10 goals. And you're like, this just isn't a 10 to nothing game in football or soccer. Just that's not fun for anybody. F1 in 2020 has been dominated by Mercedes. And they've dominated for a while. But the race on Sunday, the Belgian Grand Prix, was not competitive at all. No drama, no close finishes, nothing heroic. And the reality is that the competition in F1 happened behind closed doors in a garage somewhere where Mercedes' car was being built. I, I, like, I don't, I mean, Mercedes was literally, they're so dominant, they won a race, literally, I'm not kidding, where they won with a flat tire. I mean, Mercedes is that dominant. And I hate that I'm complaining. I know that I knew getting into the season with F1 that it was going to go this way where we knew Mercedes was going to win. We knew they would probably dominate. But despite the fact I knew that in my gut, I knew that in my head, my heart is having a hard time where I, it's getting to me for the first time ever in my journey watching F1 where, I mean, it's frustrating because Mercedes refuses to even let their, their two drivers race. I mean, there was a moment where Valtteri Bottas was within a second, right on the cusp of DRS range of Lewis Hamilton, and Mercedes said, no, we're not doing that, back off. They told them to not race each other. They're like, we'll put Lewis in first, we're going to have Valdry Vatas get second place, and they're just going to hold their position for an entire hour and a half. And, and Valdry Vatas is not going to go against team orders, and that's why they like him. Again, they like him because they can control him. He's good enough, and Valtteri lets Lewis Hamilton be the star, there's no conflict. Everybody's happy. And I don't look racing development is interesting. How engines are built, the whole process of racing development. There's a movie called uh, Ford versus Ferrari. I was watching it earlier tonight with my girlfriend. She was watching it. I was eating dinner and then I left. Um, but a part of that movie is about kind of highlights a tiny bit of racing development and how cars are built. And I would love to watch a documentary about Mercedes and how they build their F1 cars, it'd be interesting. Their development's cool to me. But the problem is that in F1, car development is kind of a lot of the competition. I mean, there's that happens behind closed doors. We're not getting to see that publicly. What we see is the races, and because of the car development, the races are not fun. So the, the most interesting competition in F1 is held behind closed doors and private. And so that's why I'm excited for the budget cap, because I think the budget cap, hopefully, potentially, cross your fingers, is going to squeeze things down and close the, the gap and bring the pack together a little bit. And look, I love F1. Even watching a bad F1 race, 
the Belgian Grand Prix, I had a blast. I still, I still enjoy it. I'm not trying to complain to be just negative completely. And again, I, I kind of hate myself for complaining. I know that it's not perfect, but I got to share my heart and I had to get it out. I was annoyed with Mercedes on Sunday and it's the first time I've ever felt annoyed with a team dominating. It's weird for me. It's not common for me, um, but that's, that's honest and that's true. Some other notes from Sunday. Ferrari's engine is just trash. Uh, Sebastian Vettel got 13th. Charles Leclerc got 14th place. Mattia Bonotto is going to get fired, in my opinion. Uh, he's the Ferrari team principal. And it's more than just the engine. There are so many small moments of mismanagement and poor communication with Ferrari. Where To me, it's bad leadership, and I think Mattia Bonotto is going to get outed. Uh, Ferrari's really struggling, and it's... I just feel bad for Charles Leclerc. I feel bad for Sebastian Vettel. I feel bad for everybody involved in Ferrari. They're not being run well at all, and it's just a mess. Now, I'm also losing patience with Alex Albin. I keep waiting for the dude to pop. I keep waiting for Max Verstappen to get a real teammate. Like, please, can we get Max Verstappen a real, actual teammate? And so I, I just, ugh, it's driving me nuts. I want to read a question from the audience. Andy wrote in from Patreon. He said, and you can too. He wrote in on Patreon. You go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. Andy wrote in, he said this. He said, all right, I watched the first season of Drive to Survive, and now I'm curious. Do you think Daniel Ricciardo staying with Red Bull would have made them able to challenge Mercedes for the last two years? Um, It's a big problem for Red Bull. Red Bull's big problem right now is their number two driver. Alex Albin cannot stay with the top of the pack. Uh, You know, at Spa, Daniel Ricciardo got fourth driving a Renault. I mean, that's... Imagine if you had a Red Bull, Honda-powered Red Bull car. I imagine that Red Bull regrets letting Daniel Ricciardo walk away. Where, you know, would would Danny Rick and Max Verstappen have challenged Mercedes? I think probably, yeah. Would their personalities have worked? I don't know. It's possible not, but it maybe could have. I mean, Daniel Ricciardo's not a, you know, troublemaker. He's not a problem child. To me, Red Bull has an Alex Albin problem, and it's frustrating because it's like, ah, come on. Like, he's just, I'm waiting and waiting, and he's not, he's not improving. He's not getting better. And he's driving the same car as Max Verstappen. And Max Verstappen is up at the top with Mercedes. So where's the pace? Why isn't the pace better? I'm just losing patience because Alex Albin right now is what's holding Red Bull back. Now, we have Monza coming up this weekend. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun time. I love F1. Again, even a bad F1 race is still a good time. Uh, I don't mean to be too Debbie Downer about Spa. It just could have been better, in my opinion. Um, now, the battle for third place is going to be fun as the year kind of comes to. We got a wild out. I mean, there's a lot of races left. They added more even. Uh, but the current standings are that with number three, in the number three spot, third in the standings, you have McLaren with 68 points. Number four is Racing Point with 66 points, even after a 15-point deduction. You have Ferrari uh, in fifth place with 61 points and Renault with 59 points. So it's a tight pack. McLaren, Racing Point, Ferrari, Renault. Ferrari is just getting worse and worse. Uh, I would not be surprised if Renault quickly passes them. Racing Point, to me, is the third best team on the grid because uh, they, they really should be third. They got a points deduction, which is eh, whatever. It just seems like silly politics. But I don't know, man. It's getting fun. The battle for third is going to be interesting as the year kind of closes out. I don't expect really anything to go weird at the top. I think it's going to be pretty clearly Mercedes, then Red Bull. Mercedes is dominant. Red Bull is the best team out of the pack that's not named Mercedes. But again, they have an Alex Albin problem. They can't challenge Mercedes because their number two driver isn't getting better and isn't making progress. So um, it's going to be Mercedes. It's going to be Red Bull. And then 
Who knows after that? Maybe kind of the other fun narrative is can Max Verstappen get second place? I think so. But we'll just keep watching, keep finding out. Guys, that's all I have today. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Hope you have a great day. And uh, that's all I have. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done.